Key Video presents a home video preview. A little fun in the sun turns into a frantic family affair when Mr. Hobbs takes a vacation. Bring home an American classic, James Stewart. Live from Orlando. It's Saturday Night Movies Leapovers. Starring hosts. Starring Jay Blake. Dion Bayer. And Al Lewis. Now, without further ado... Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Welcome, everybody. You know what we're doing right now, everybody? We're having a Three Musketeers bar. We're having a Three Musketeers bar. We just got out our Huffy bikes. We biked all the way to the uh, local store. And uh, we got ourselves a Coke. And we got ourselves a can of Coke. And we got ourselves a Three Musketeers bar. Well, a little known fact. Oh, the heavenly glory. <laughs> oh, the heavenly glory. A little known fact. Dion Bay is not that much of a sweets eater. This is true. I'm, I'm not that much of a sweets eater. But the two things that I know he'll eat sweet wise <laughs> are Keebler rainbow chip cookies. Oh, Lord have mercy. And three Musketeers bars. Yeah. They were the only junk food he ever had when we were freshmen in college and we slept in a tiny room together. As yeah, that's true. I, I also like the soft batch cookies too. And sun or orange soda. I like the orange soda. And I like Twix. I'll interchange three Musketeers with the Twix. And M&M's. M&M's is my new thing now. But I'm, I'm a simple guy. <laughs> simple, simple pleasure. Yeah. You know, what's more simple than Ice Three Musketeers? You know? And it's a sleepover, so... You and it's have a, a freaking sleepover. You gotta have a little bit of junk Yeah, I'm food. drinking a Coke right here. Um, so round three... Yeah. Before we jump into the movie... Yeah. Welcome back, Welcome Jay Blake. Back. I'm Jay Blake. I'm Dion Baia. Call me Blake. Just call me Blake. I'm going to get this out of your way in a minute. I'm going to finish this. Three minutes here. Blake, we, take the mic. Uh, in the previous two episodes, installments of Saturday Night Movie Sleepover, previously on Saturday Night Movie <laughs> Sleepovers. You're pregnant. <laughs> He's dead. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers is filmed before a live studio audience. Um, in Studio City. Starting with Grace Stoke. Yeah. The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. Take a, bre- take a breath. I whipped out a Batman brochure. For Batman memorabilia. Story goes, as the story goes, yeah. I went home to my mom's house. They're thinking about moving yet again to another house. They're so like, go through the boxes, throw out anything you don't want. Mom, it's my life here, though. <laughs> so I went through some boxes, a lot of VHS tapes. and uh, Piper's Pit. But I found <laughs> Piper's Pit and the best of Racer Remote. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping those bad boys. <laughs> those babies definitely be. You, yeah. you probably already transferred those sons of bitches to DVD. <laughs> they had a little DVD-R there at night. Honey, you want to watch something? But I opened up boxes of Saturday night movie amazing Glory. <laughs> of all Saturday night movie glory. Yeah. Um, and you took so, it all with you and you said, you can't throw this out. So I this brought, is mine. I brought, much, I, brought a, I brought some significant items home with me. 
Yeah. So two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, Grace Store. Three, four, four weeks, weeks ago, ago. A month ago. I a gave, month ago. I gave Dion a brochure from Batman, which we had mentioned in our Batman, our epic Batman yeah. anniversary. If they cast. gave out then the night you saw the movie for the first time. It was a leaflet of what was available through Warner Brothers. Has Heather Logging Camp. I haven't yeah. even thought of it since 1990. And Bob Kane's in a sweet, you know, jacket previews for young uh, Einstein and <laughs> oh, yeah, too. Yeah. amazing, <laughs> amazing. And then last episode, yeah, which two, two weeks, weeks ago. ago which was our uh, Ghostbusters. We did Ghostbusters. I brought a, I brought vintage Ghostbusters. It says, I'm a Ghostbuster with the Ghostbuster logo yeah. pin. Which we, Circa 1984. Which we still have on. That we, we, we put back on. Circa summer of 84. Yeah. We're still at my house because my parents are still doing their attic. So you might hear the dog go by. Mine on the back says, written in like faded away Sharpie, Blake. Yeah. So that I wouldn't lose it. You better not lose it. <laughs> I paid all this money now, for Now... <clears throat> This is the third, third installment yeah. in, into the show-and-tell gift-giving. has nothing to do with the movie we're doing tonight. Okay. That'd be hilarious if you had some sort of like action figure. <laughs> it's a John Candy action figure. Holy crap. But How did you fit that in your pocket? I brought two Okay, so that we can both wear them. Wear them? Uh-oh. It's vintage. Vintage. Freddy's three, Dead. 3D glasses. The final nightmare 3D glasses from when I saw it. Wow, in the theater, because the last half of Freddy's Dead is um, in 3D. The last part of Freddy's Dead. On the inside, we coming have, this fall. Coming this, we have House Party Two, starring Kid and Play. And on the right side, it has Coming This Fall, Suburban Commando, starring Hulk Hogan, Christopher Lloyd. Oh, I forgot Shelley Duvall's in that. All New Line Cinema. Wow, and it's hilarious. The, and on the outside, it says uh, they dead. saved the best for last. Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare. Yeah, this is. Look at all the marketing that went into this. We're, we're actually going to put these on because it's going to get. Oh boy. <laughs> Put these on only when Maggie does, and experience the film's final battle in Freddy Vision. Who's Maggie? I have to put them oh. over my glasses. Yeah, this is a really <laughs> wow. If you, and then when you it's look like up ba- to the even light. that guy in Back to the Future, one of, yeah, one like, of Biff's guys always wears. Billy Zane's guys in Back to the Future, Biff. It's like that guy's always wearing. There's always a guy wearing 3D glasses. Yeah, blue and red. It's it's really cool for him in the time, but then by the 60s, he's really going for that VA. You know, he's at the VA hospital. <laughs> <laughs> one eye's going one way. Yeah. One eye's going He's trying to get the GI Bill through. These are great. So that's a vintage. And I know that uh, the little lady is a big Freddy fan. Yeah, my little lady's a huge Freddy fan. So I thought that might be a nice. Uh, she 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 loved those. That might be the one thing that I give you <laughs> during this excursion. Where she's like, yeah. She's like, oh, these are nice though. I'll keep these. Um, amazing. I've never seen Freddy's Dead in the theater. I remember my stepdad took me to see that at the movie theater. Yeah. Did he like it? I don't think he liked it, but I was into it. Yeah, he knew you were like it. He's doing it for the kid. Taking one for the team. Um, so That was nice. This is this is really lovely that, that, that we're getting these little installments of presents that you're getting out of your thing. This makes me have to go home and kick in my door and start doing stuff. <laughs> where's my stuff? Yeah, where's all my stuff? You throw it out, you sons of it. You've always hated me. I figured, um, you know, it's all relevant to a Saturday night movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Especially the, the era in which we grew up. Have they ever released Freddy's Dead on... Um, um, what do you call it? Met the Curtis Mayfield song, of course, but the... the, the uh, I don't know if it's in 3D. Yeah. I mean, there's only that one part. Yeah, I wonder if they've ever released, like, there's a version of it in 3D. Because now, look, they've released all, like, you know, uh, Jason 3's in 3D. They released that properly. I just bought Jaws 3D. Jaws, wow, Jaws 3D's out. Amityville Horror 3 3D. That was just horrible. Wax. House of Wax. I love House of Wax. That's probably one of the best examples of using, I guess, aside from like Jim Cameron doing his Dial Avatar stuff. Dial in for murder. I have Dial in for murder. Blu-ray. Yeah. 
So they all so they're releasing them now properly on Blu-ray in the 3D option. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Finally, I was waiting for, I was waiting for Jaws 3D because, as some listeners will know, there was a phase just before 3D became a thing and home video again. That I discovered the site where you could buy like blue red version of uh, 3D movies on like bootleg. Yeah, well, you, that was like around 2000, say. And uh, then, what was that? Like seven, eight, nine. And maybe? I started buying them, and then you started, and then you bought a few. And then I was even thinking about buying. Remember, they had a device you can attach to the TV that was to watch. Yeah, it would be like to do the shutter. Yeah, which shutter speed for you for special 3D glasses. Uh, maybe for newer movies, I don't remember what releases those that was connected to. But we just bought the ones that they had. Everything basically they put out in 3D in the 50s and then in, in the, the 80s. The resurgence in the 80s. Um, and, and you know what I just pre-ordered was, uh, oh man, Metal Storm? What's the, what's the one with the, not uh, not Space Hunter. I have it on the, damn. Anyway, know. there's an 80s sci-fi movie. Yeah, that's 3D. That's coming out on Blu-ray in 3D, which I had in the bootlegs of yeah. the, the Blu-ray 3D. Now, did you know anybody who ever bought the 3D TV? I have a 3D TV. Oh, I have a 3D bo- uh, Blu-ray player, not the TV. <laughs> uh, I'll have to bring my TV over. <laughs> I w- they don't do anything in 3D anymore. That kind of flopped, right? Because remember ESPN was going to do some 3D. Remember, you're watching sports. But I heard, one, you have to sit a certain way, and then, two, you only get like one glass so if you have a family of four glasses you have to go buy those glasses independently yeah i bought a, i had a 3d plasma tv a 3d player and then I, uh, I had to buy a thing of 3d glasses some of the tvs have just like the ones that you wear at the movies now which are just like those buy those po- uh yeah polar eyes polarized lenses but mine it's like there's a battery and it connects somehow with the tv and it does like that shutter alternating shutter thing with your eyes and um but it comes with two so, oh, it does come with two. I thought they were just... But, it can't, it, but with, it can't do more than that. And it came with a DVD, too, doesn't it? That, yeah, it came with like Alice. Avatar. Mine came with Avatar and uh, like a mixed thing of... was a Coraline? Yeah. And, uh, and one of the Ice Age movies that's in 3D. A friend of mine who bought it, uh, my boss, he got it and he got the... Uh, Alice in Wonderland, Tim Burton movie. Yeah, mine was a little bit earlier. But mine it was, was the, it was the point is it was this phase that people thought were going that way when it was exciting, and then and then they were even giving programming. You remember it was like the between um, DVD and what was the other super DVD, whatever that other one. Oh was yeah, there? HD HD DVD. My mother freaking she goes to a taxi. I was like, I've got your movie because my mom sounds like she's from Queens, <laughs> and she's like, it's not open, and she buys me Troy the. Um, Wolfgang Peterson movie, yeah, which is yeah. I liked. I thought it was a pretty cool movie. Yeah. But he, she got me unopened the special edition in HD, HD DVD, and I'm like, for fuck's sake, you know. It's like remember for a while there was the CD, and then there was like the other CD, yeah. like H whatever that CD. I have like a couple albums in that kind of you know, doing, format. Yeah, but you could play that. In can you? I don't think you can. It's never reads. I have I have the best of an Allison Chains album, the best of album. I'm like, oh, what the hell is? in super cd or whatever that format is oh yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway we're digressing but <laughs> so 3d glasses that's freaking awesome and people forget yet yeah, in the 80s for people who were who aren't old enough there, there was a re- people were like shit we can still do 3d can't we fellas let's go <laughs> let's <laughs> and, do it and and then coincidentally there was all these movies that were coming out in threes and you know it wasn't like they planned it that way but you had jaws 3 yeah. you had uh friday 13th part 3 you had amityville horror 3 um what what other 3D movies? There was a, there was a couple more substantial movies at the time that came out in 3D that then for years you were never able to see. You know, even like the 50s movies, never unless you saw them being played on the big screen, like in a revival, you could <clears> never see. They would never 
you know, there's no reason to, 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 to even broadcast the 3D version because no one can get it. And I remember there was some pushes, like, remember, maybe for this, these glasses, you'd have to go to, like, the local Wawa. There was some sort of, maybe it was Simpsons, where you'd go and you had to get the glasses because oh, they yeah. were going to play, like, 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 a... You know, like, Barks Root Beer would have the... Yeah, and go, go get them at the... At have the, a commercial, at like the a Super Bowl commercial. Yeah, and and make, make sure you put your glasses on for the Super Bowl commercial or for the segment in Simpsons or whatever. I remember doing that. But... For years, you couldn't get these movies. It was it Rolling 3D. Stones? Remember, I used to have a videotape of it taped off TV. It was Rolling Stones live in Atlantic City. Yes, from I like the remember. early '90s or late '80s. Yeah, like the late '80s, and there was a 3D segment. And he put the glasses on. Where it was like Mick doing his like thing as like little computerized orbs. Yeah. <laughs> How many people out there? I want to get anybody out there listening to this now who are who are, who are listeners to us. Uh, give us a shout out if you know the last concert Muddy Waters ever played. Not ever. He, he performed in Florida, but the last uh, recorded thing he did was he's at this little club, which could be the, the, the Checker Club. It could I be Buddy Guys. I think it's the Checker Club. It's Buddy Guys. In Chicago. He's playing there like circa 1980. Because, no, <laughs> what year did he die? He died 83, I think. I so think maybe it's like 81, maybe. Because he did all those groundbreaking albums in Westport. When he re recorded everything, that was like an 80. Yeah. Uh, and those are the versions we know that are like in the uh, you know the Scorsese um, movies. But anyway, this the, he's like in this checker club and it's Muddy Waters and the Stones show up, and this and it's like it was on PBS. It must have been televised on PBS because it has that kind of feel. Yeah. I want to see how many people know that that performance where like it was he's playing. And then the, sh the like, they just happen to have a camera outside the club, and then you see like the bus show up, and then you see off the bus everybody. It's all the Stones with their little attitudes because they're probably like all well, high it's on funny cocaine. And, and <laughs> we're really getting in the weeds here, yeah. but uh -huh. and they, they all come into the club, and Muddy's playing like you know, baby, please don't go down a new one. And then like you know, they all start coming to like, hey, look who's here, and then like you know, Mick comes up, and it's this great dichotomy of Muddy at that time is sitting on a stool, Mick's playing wearing his, like a. I want to say like a Red Wings hockey jersey. Or he's, he's like, he's like, where I thought he was wearing like an Adidas outfit, like one of those, like you know, like uh, same color, same you know, pantsuits. Maybe. And he's, um, I thought he was wearing a hockey thing. He could be wearing very well. I, who know. knows? Could yeah, be, but, there, be, but one of us could be thinking of a different show. Mick, Mick sitting next to Muddy. Mick's doing his freaking thing with his mouth and his moves, and as he's doing around, like you know, squeeze all. You know, very like Michael Jackson, you know, electric, and you know, muddy, just sitting there looking at him like, baby, baby, don't go. It's very funny. Very funny. Now, the funny, the kicker, just to wrap up that story. So tweet is, us, tweet us if you know that story. Is in or that show? In, in Buddy Guy's autobiography, he bitches about that show. How he's like, they wanted to do this. The, the Reverend is he talking about that Reverend that shows up and steals the <laughs> no, show? No, he's just because oh. Buddy Guy owned the club. Yeah, yeah, of course. And he's like, oh, he's like, yeah, it was great that they wanted to come and they wanted to film my club, but I didn't get paid for it. They took up a bunch of seats, so I didn't have customers there. <laughs> he just he just bitches and complains about, about the receipts that night. <laughs> yeah, that, like how, how, how that night cost them money. Oh well, he shows up and he plays the hell out of the place. And then, as well as the, there's this reverend that comes in, who's the third wheel after the Stones play for a bit. And uh, you know, it's a very small club. We're talking like if people, I don't, no one's going to know Toad's place unless you're from the New Haven area. But it's a small, it's smaller than that. Yeah, it's like it's like someone's living room, and then there's just like it looks like kind of like. Um, the traditional, like in like a beer garden, you have like the like the the big row seating or like yeah, tables, rows of tables yeah. you know, and it's like they're just looking up at them, and then you know, and then this reverend takes over the third act, and he's like, "No, I want to play now. Let's play. Come on!" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, so if you guys know that, we're in the weeds here. It has nothing to do with three D, and it has Freddy, nothing to do with our movie. It has nothing to do with Freddy's Dead. Yeah, and it has so. nothing to do with summer rental. And we're talking about yeah, that's the first time we've even name checked. We're doing summer rental this this week, right? In case for some reason somehow you downloaded this, he did not know or hit play on a streaming. Yeah, 
I, I and, had no idea what movie you were doing. And we're hope we're not leading these people down the wrong road thinking that Summer Rental was released in 3D because it was. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been awesome. It would have been great. All the sailing stuff yeah. would have been really cool. But hey, we're talking about Carl Reiner's Summer Rental from 1985, starring the great John uh, Johnny Carson, John Candy, <laughs> you know, and Rip Torn, and Rip Torn, and Richard Crenna. Richard Crenna's got a great Rip Rip. Great Torn. movie. Yeah. Good night, movie. folks. Good night. Seeing you soon. Uh, great, great, great movie. It's it's a summer movie. It's one of these movies you watch almost every summer. I sometimes used to remember lumping it in with the Namp- National Lampoon movies for some reason. I thought they I were kind of connected. That. You know, there's a certain you know, thing. Even the uh, our last cast from two weeks ago, that came out, like, I think around the 15th. And this movie takes place the 15th, in the middle of July, remember, because that's when the boat race is going to mm-hmm. be. So uh, it's very much like a summer... You know, before you're getting sick of summer movie, you know, once you hit August, you're like, Jesus, when's summer going to end? You know, I don't, I'm not worried about, you know, going on vacation anymore. I'm worried about like, the fall. How, I don't know how many people are wondering that. Well, <laughs> Certainly kids are. No, no, that. not kids. But like, you know, with, with the heat, I'm saying, I guess when you're in metropolitan areas, you know, it's like, when's it going to cool off? Yeah. Well, a lot of people go on vacation in August. I mean, that's when like, what about Bob? Yeah. Because a lot of, a lot I used of to psych- go on vacation in August. like high interest, take August off. You're able to take that time up to Labor Day. There. Maybe in August we'll do one of them. Oh, that's a good one. Built <laughs> Bill Murray from two weeks ago. So we're doing what well, we're doing. Um, summer rental from 1985. 1985. Last week's film, Ghostbusters, was from 1984. Yeah. Now there's a little link that there's a couple of little links here that we didn't even think about as we were pr- pr- deciding to do these movies. Yeah. And uh, but the, when we watched them, we saw the names, and that's how we figured it out. The, the, the correlation here, uh, the aside from of, the original. The, the first, of course, being that like we talked about how John Candy was originally going to be thought of to be in Ghostbusters. You're playing the Lewis and, Tully, and the of, Rick Moranis role. And, of course, he's the star of this movie. Coincidentally, I think his first starring role. Yeah. and He always played smaller part. Or, and they say, is it the first starring role a Canadian had in an American-made movie? I heard something. <laughs> I heard That would be crazy. I, yeah, I heard some sort of weird fact that it is. Um, let me see if this is... Um, if I can find my, my notations on this. Uh, okay, quote, first leading role for Canadian... Oh, no, okay. In, in a sole American Hollywood production. So it is, it is, it is John Candy's, Canadian-born John Candy's first starring role in a, in a, a strictly American-made production. But these t- Ghostbusters in this movie share an executive producer. Yeah. Uh, Bernie Brillstein who was executive producer of Ghostbusters, executive producer of Summer Rental. And the story for Summer Rental comes out of real-life experience for Bernie Brillstein. Yeah, which is funny because, to me, uh, I look at this movie, and to me, this movie could have been done in the early 60s with Carl Reiner playing the John Candy character. Uh-huh. You know, And this producer, his story sounds like, to me, it is like a 60s you know him like leaving the you know the trendy westchester area and going to wherever he's going to like Martha's Vineyard or Cape Cod or well he was like shore. hollywood i think he was going there they were going to move to la or something they were going to go vacation on the beaches of uh, yeah. you know in the la area and he went to this and, and then a lot of these elements happened where uh, you know he says here that the um, like the one part where he left the house and he came in the uh, there was a guy in the in his place like sleeping there and they were using you know uh, he he was saying that he has and he was they were going to vacation in Southern California and he and he says you know he has five children he weighs two hundred and forty pounds he's saying and uh, being heavy in California isn't like a really good thing and then he, he his experience is like trying to you know walk on the beach 
as a big guy as a big guy walking past everybody that it, 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 it's this and it's i find it hilarious that like this movie it really sums up even for our, our life experience right now i'm sure john candy was much younger when he did this movie than we are now which yeah. is hilarious but it just sums up when you are a man in your 30s or 40s or even 50s and you you have a family and you're you're working that freaking job and that nine to five job, whatever time it is, is just getting on you. And it's the summer and everything is going wrong. And it's 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 really poignant how they did the script construction, even though how simple this movie is. That every scene there's something that happens that goes wrong. The John Good uh, to John Candy, you know, there's John Goodman, John Goodman. would have been a good movie with John, John Goodman, Goodman too, too. You know, but it's it's like there's always something going on. And for me, it it, it seems like this is like you know with this guy saying uh, Brillstein is saying like you know that. Everything went wrong. Him walking on a beach. Uh, the house he left was occupied. He said the house they rented, he said on the left it, uh, were two elderly women. One of them had a six-foot, uh, four-inch, quote, retarded son who's right out of arsenic and old lace. He's saying, like, you know, yelling, running around. That's, you know, to, that's a reference to the guy thinking he was uh, Teddy Roosevelt saying, Charge! Um, and then on the right, he was saying there was a, a group of chick, uh, quote, homosexuals wearing like peach sweaters and you know going all around so it was you know you you so basically and then he says he left the house he came back and there was people using the house there was a guy like in his bed sleeping with sand all over it and so it's like <laughs> yeah. you, you you know you I, I think it turns into you have a a concept of your mind of what's going to happen and it never ends up working out that way and this is like one of these where you have a you know you're going to go away you're taking the kids you're going to go rent this nice house it's going to be great we're going to fish and then you get there it's like Okay, the place sucks. There's freaking bed bugs. Uh, you know, the kids aren't happy. Their power aren't working. There's no fish in the pond. So it's like you know, yeah. It's almost again like um, John Lithgow, John Lithgow in, in uh, Harry and the Hendersons, where he's trying to force that vacation on the. You know, yeah, it's totally. gonna be funny. It's gonna be good. You're gonna have a good time. It's like my mom. We used to growing up. We were my father grew up and he would vacation in the Lake George area in, in outside Albany and my mom got to the point where she's like I don't want to go back up there every summer we'd go up there she's like what are we going to do we're going to walk around town we're going to go here. you know so it's like it's one of these things it's funny it's like, how I mean this movie's not so much like a tradition yeah like, them yeah like a dad's tradition like the great outdoors but like for like instance that the, you know they just did another like a revamp or, or pseudo sequel to vacation Yes, which was actually pretty funny. Did you see it? Yeah, I did. You know that whole scene with what's his face, Helmsworth? Yeah, yeah. Best in the whole whole movie. (laughs) Best thing. But in the beginning, you know, he decides that you know he's looking at past pictures. The past years that they always would go to this cabin, and then every year he sees that like his wife and the kids. Like this is the expression on their faces. This is we're talking about vacation. The new the vacation. Yes, new vacation movie. Yeah, and so it's like it's the same thing. Like he wants to go up this cabin. He thinks it's like this big thing for them, but. The family's like completely sick and tired yeah. of that. And that's when he comes up with this idea of going to Wally World, which was his, you know, vacation with Chevy Chase when yeah. he was little. Um, but, I mean, this movie doesn't really have that trope, No, it doesn't but have that. But but Harry Henderson certainly does, where he's forcing the people to go up to hunt and, this, you know, the, assume the roles. Like, I, like you know, he, John yeah. Lipgussett did The kid's still dad. into it, but his wife's like yeah, it's like done. It. But this is one where it's like, almost i guess in the vein of like chevy chase with the wife where it's like you know they want to go on a vacation they're going to have a good time and then john candy's like it's don't worry forced vacation yeah john candy's so overworked the poor he's guy. overworked and stressed out at work that he's, he's basically his boss is like you need to 
take two weeks off or whatever. Yeah, he's an air traffic controller, and he almost causes like a, a semi-disaster, and then he doesn't see another plane because it's hidden by a fly. So the guy's like, you know what? You're too stressed out. And they kind of give him a four-week paid vacation. And he's like, okay. And, and this takes place in the Atlanta, Georgia area, which they shot some of it there. So he they go down to the Florida, and they rent a place in this um, fictional area called Citrus Grove. Uh, and I think it's around St. Petersburg is where they filmed some of this and some other areas. And... Um, they go down there and then like they're renting this and it, it you know it's funny this is another one of these movies where it's like it's it, you know we did ghostbusters two weeks ago and when i go back and watch this summer rental i'm like geez is there more isn't ain't there more going on in this like it's just isn't i thought there was all these other things and it's very just like you know one two three four one two three four a b c d yeah and yeah. it's done and it works you know and it's and it's just funny that i i identify this for some reason now am i gonna sound awkward here do you ever have a movie or characters that you kind of identify with and you kind of like inhabit that world? You know, like for me, John Candy, it's like I, I feel comfortable with that, this world of John Candy's. I, I completely, that's me, like all this stuff that happens to the poor guy. You know, it's like this is, that's real life for me like this. And, and I find kind of comfort watching this kind of a movie where it's like, oh, you know, he's a lovable guy. Let's hope there's John, this, this character of, uh, what's his name, uh, Chester, uh, Jack Chester's in the world. You know, it's really... It's really comforting that there's reasonable men like this. Yeah, I can see that. You know, for me, you know, um, my my grandparents growing up when I was real little owned a motel down in in Wildwood, New Jersey, and so they all you know they would go down in the summer and they would run this motel all summer, and so for me, my brother has better memories of it because he was just older, so he did it more often, and he got to the point where like. He was old enough to like go off and do shit on his own. Yeah. Whereas like I was really little. I mean, I was like, you know, up until like 84, 85, <laughs> you know, so like I was like six, seven, yeah. maybe as the oldest I got. That's like the oldest I got. But uh, so we would go down and spend weeks down on the Jersey Shore and stay at, at the motel. And um, so in a lot of ways, it's this movie's very comforting in that it's. You know, that's that's also the years that yeah, I was you, there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the Walkmans and the and the headphones. That's maybe that's another identifiable <laughs> thing because I remember. Yeah, when you go on vacation in the eighties, this is how it was. I mean, it's another thing to the think fashion. about. Fashion. I mean, it's just like it's totally like uh, like a time machine. You know, taking me back to my youth. How many people can sit back that were that's listen to this? Take a moment and close your eyes and think about going. I and I hope this is. I'm not like alienating people who didn't have this memory but it's like getting into the family car be it like the the imitation woody you know before we had minivans or you know once you got the minivan i mean remember like in the old uh station wagons you had that seat that was in the back facing the other way you <laughs> yeah, know like yeah, that yeah. Yeah, volvo cars kind of have them kind of now or yeah. later models and then once the minivan knocked out the station wagon you're getting in the minivan i remember like going on trips where you didn't have, I mean, it's like an old asshole. You didn't have cell phones or internet. You didn't even have, like, we missed the whole gap of having TVs in the car. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess there were TVs. I mean, by, like, rich. the early 90s, a, a Game Boy yeah. might have been, like, the that only. That was huge. You're like, yeah, some sort of, and that was, you know, if you were, like, a well-off kid or you were a lucky kid. So I remember hours on end, like, going, on, okay, we're going to drive someplace, and like, I have, like, a whole shitload of comic books. Play, like, travel, uh, connect four. Yeah, or you, you bother yourself with, uh, you know, license plate games or whatever, or even... You know, if you were lucky, I had a Walkman. So, yeah. like, I listened to my I listened to my Motley Crue, my Skid Row, my mixtapes, you know? 
my 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 totally. Aerosmith, my Guns N' Roses back then, all the hair bands I listened to, you know, up until like before I got into Jimi Hendrix and stuff. And it's like, it's just like this. This is you're right. When you when you think about people getting on the beach in the '80s and girls and bikinis and you know, and another funny thing to think about is Carl Reiner also did Summer School. Which is a favorite of mine, which I haven't seen in thirty-five years, probably. Oh, yeah, we should you know? do summer school yeah. at some point. But th- that's another Carl Reiner. So you think about Carl Reiner, who's the Carl father Reiner. of Rob Reiner. It's like he's he's old at that point. He's Mel Brooks's age. Well, I was going to say he had like a whole other career. Before he was a writer. He did the Jerk. I mean, he was a writer back in this, the fifties with Mel Brooks. I mean, he was like almost on radio near the end, tail end of radio. Him and, and Mel he's Brooks like on the writers. Dick Van Dyke show. Then he's the he's the then in the early sixties. He I think is the one who creates the Dick Van Dyke show. I may not be correct on this. I hope I am. I'm pretty sure he was at least one of the writers. He was it. living in New Rochelle at the time, it was very close to where we're recording this podcast in Westchester. And he was commuting back to the city. And that was that he wanted to do a, 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 a sitcom about a guy who commutes, you know, he has the, his job in the city and he has his home life. And that's, and I think he did the pilot and he played the Dick Van Dyke character. They didn't like him. If I remember correctly, then they redid the pilot and I think Mary Tyler Moore was on both, but then they got Dick Van Dyke to be that character, and then they got him to play the boss. Yeah. And then that was it. And you're right. He had this whole career, and then into the 70s, I guess, it, you know, he was writing, creating stuff, TV. He went to directing. Uh, his son, Carl Reiner, had a big freaking uh, thing in uh, All in the Family in the yeah, 70s. Yeah, he played Meathead on Yeah, all in the 70s. But just like a little plug for Carl Reiner. And I, you know, when it comes to comedy, there's some, some things that'll actually genuinely and to, make you laugh. And you know what? Uh, not to, um, to, to, to interrupt you, but for people who can't place his face now, you just think he was in the uh, remake of the Ocean's Eleven movies. Yeah. He was the older gentleman, not Elliot Gould with the glasses, but the other guy. That's Carl Reiner. You know, yeah. uh, tall gentleman, bald, really nice. He's elderly now. I, I yeah, saw him yeah. a couple of years ago and he was... He was in his eighties, so he's. But uh, just you know, like you know, some comedy, some things like stand up. Stand up's never been my thing. I know, like you're a bigger fan of certain stand up or stand up records and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I can, and I'll find a lot of it like you know funny, but uh, it takes a lot, or at least it takes a certain kind of humor to make me laugh out, genuinely laugh out loud. In the, in that kind of a situation. Yeah, but yeah. there are a couple. I have one. Uh, I can't think of what it is specifically because I'm sure they did more than one. Where it's Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks. There's a very a there's comedy a, record that is a laugh. Riot. You know, we're, we're gonna we're we're, we're kind of probably sounding like idiots right now because we haven't done our research. But there is a mega comedy record that came out like in '59, '60, '61, and I think it's like a caveman or something like that. And it's it's Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks, and like it made history. And it's yeah, one of yeah. those ones that are like a staple along with at that time. Befell, before Bill Cosby got on the scene in the mid-60s, or Red Fox, it was like one of these staples, like you'd listen to that record. And it's basically, to some of the funnier bits, I mean, I don't know, I can't remember if all the bits are like this, but it's like Carl Reiner interviewing Mel Brooks as like all these weird characters, like the famous, like, oldest man in the, in the world. Yeah. Kinda, you know, bits. And they are genuinely... Yeah, like laugh out loud, funny. Yeah, I mean that's where you get the genius of Mel Brooks and then Carl Reiner. You can see that on display there, and it's it's. So know, by the time the eighties roll around, he's already had, he's already had two, maybe two careers. You know, I mean, and, and that always astounds me to think of people who live in like generational periods where, like, you know, he's like an ad man in the fifties. He's yeah. like the guy from um, what's the show that was on AMC? You know, uh, Mad, Mad Men. Men. You know, he's like that kind of a guy. Like, and then he does a Dick Van Dyke show, so he's doing that style into the seventies, and he's doing other TV stuff with Mel Brooks in the seventies, wearing like plaid and you know, Botany five hundred suits. And then yeah, yeah. we hit the eighties, and the eighties, he's probably like in his, you know, I don't know what, say fifties, maybe at that point yeah. or older. Because maybe if you look at now, 
I saw him because by then Rob Reiner was making movies. Well, yeah, and that was already like his second career. And you think of Rob Reiner. How old is Rob Reiner? And like an All in the Family, he's already he looks old. His twenties. To me, he looks like yeah. You look at I look at myself now. Like he's got to be older than me, but I'm almost thirty. I know. Well, also when you look at the seven, when you look at stuff pre eighties, yeah, it's all they all like young people just look older. It's a mean that everyone's probably chain smoking and eating red meat and all kinds of stuff. But uh, you only you know life expectancy is (laughs) fifty. But he did the you know Carl Reiner did he directed the Jerk? Yeah. Uh, What's what's the other one? Dead man don't wear a plaid. I love Dead Man. That's a joke. There's a joke. No one, a lot of people don't know Dead Man don't wear a plaid. It's a movie where Steve Martin is a private detective. They shot it in black and white, but they intercut it with real scenes from like uh, fifty or for, for Warner Brothers uh, gangster movies. So he's like talking. He calls up and talks to Humphrey Bogart and on like the phone. film noir movies. Also. Yeah. So he's he's having conversations with like Humphrey Bogart, James Carrie, Cagney. He, sits on a, he has a train. He's sitting in a train car. But Steve yeah. Martin is sitting in a train car with Cary Grant. It's very funny. But there's a, there's always a joke <coughs> I do with with women where it's um it's a little inappropriate. But at the, at some point, <laughs> Steve Martin either uh like the girl passes out or he slaps her. She falls out and she gets onto the couch, and she's still out. So he starts um oh that's my dog. He's making some noise. Um, he starts adjusting her breasts and she wakes up. She's like, what are you doing? And he's like, you know, when you fell, they got all the wax. So I'm just straightening them all out. <laughs> so I've, I've pulled that once or twice before uh, and it's worked. Yeah. So, but then I mean, don't wear plaid is a great movie. I mean, there's all these. And then you get into the, and then you get, you know, further into the eighties. Like you said, we got this and, uh, I didn't know that he had done summer school. Yeah. That was because that's another one of his, with summer in the title, uh, in the title of that time. And it's just the. Like you just look at the comic geniuses of these people, and sometimes you can't. And you know that's another thing you were talking about, um, uh, like styles. Like you know, you say you can't get into stand up. Like I, on a side note, really have been turned off in the past ten years of that kind of comedy. Comedy that's really um, familiar or popular with people because I, I get sick of the cynicism, the sarcastic. Yeah. You know, I grew up on like say fun funny lighthearted stuff like bill cosby and stuff like that and there's no knock to dirty because i love eddie murphy and stuff yeah yeah uh, i just don't like everything now cynical and but and, there's a know. difference there's a difference between like blue humor and like like the the kind of cynical humor that seems yeah. to be uh in fashion yeah in vogue days. right now that's my point but i think that you know the, that's kind of cynical humor is you know, one thing that we made a conscious decision when we did this, po- when we decided to do this podcast, yeah, we weren't that gonna, we weren't gonna like yeah, try people, to make fun of the movies for comedy. Yeah, like, that we were just gonna, and we're gonna just we 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 we're 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 taking them as they are. We're, it's it's no, you know, it's we're 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 looking at it like, of course, that's 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 inherited with the whatever movie we're doing. It could be dated or campy oh, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, we, look, a lot like, of these movies are easy to make fun of. Yeah, but you know. You know, we'd much rather take the so stance of uh, yeah. You know, let's be nostalgic let's about it. it. Yeah, and then remember the good things about life. So that so my point is, it's this little side note that that annoys me that comedy nowadays. But I look back and I like older comedy. And, and my whole point around finally saying this because I've taken too long is that a lot of people forget that along with stand up, you know, there used to be a huge and it was huge in vaudeville. There was routine comedy. Yeah, and I think probably since the middle sixties early 60s routine comedy has completely been dead except for you get the one oddball who's like you know i'm a magician you know one of these guys you know and he, yeah. he he you know and he maybe he's like a freaking imitator of the marx brothers you know that's where you may get like a vintage route but people forget that was like along with doing stand-up you would have a lot of like situation comedies and that's where a lot of all of our sitcoms like the honeymooners or whatever come out of like vaudeville 
you doing a comedy about like you know two you know Jewish couple oh, bitching yeah, about yeah. you know their husband and wife. You know what I mean? Well, like, I mean you know, like Buster Keaton as a child, his family. That's this is an insane. Would do. Uh, you know, they had some kind of, they would wear like, a, if you see the pictures, a crazy get up. Yeah, like, his father. They'd be like bald with beards and the whole family looked, had this makeup on. And his father was a very violent person and I think he drank as well. And he would, what they I would mean, do who is. Did, who didn't back No, you're right. And then especially <laughs> on the vaudeville circuit. But I read this great book on vaudeville uh, and the whole life of it and what it was like to, to be on the circuit back then. Because a lot, it's funny, we don't think about we're connected to this, but. You know, Bob Hope, Milton Burrow, all those people that were still with us, George Burns, they all started on this circuit. And it's such, yeah. a, such an interesting uh, area of uh, entertainment prior to radio. And I think. And I mean, and in a lot of ways, like it, these are all somewhat contemporaries to Carl Reiner. Yeah, exactly. Because this is what he's listening to. He's either growing up, is digesting this, or he's then associating with this as he's getting popular and famous. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're talking about Buster Keaton. He was so little, but he was very physical. And his father purposely got him physically in the routine and his father he would wear a contraption on his back that people would see buster the child where he had a handle that his father can pick him up and during the sketch his father would violently pick him up and throw him around the room the fake room on stage to the point where it was very unsettling to audiences and it was very funny at first and then the audiences got really worried that he was going to hurt himself and i think a couple times he like broke his shoulder oh sure you know i mean this is and this is a buster keaton as a child this is happening i mean but it was like a little kid yeah a little kid (laughs) and but this is this is the era back then i mean not to get on a whole tangent but it's amazing to think that you had this you were Blake and I are a team. You know, we're we're, we're uh, Dion and Blake, and we're going to this. We're on this circuit. We get to Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, we've been booked by our manager. We get into this theater. There's a theater that's playing twelve hours a day for in rotation, nonstop. They're doing these events, and what you do is you buy your ticket. You come in as an audience member. You sit down to wherever part you are, and you usually watch until it comes back around to where you came in, and then you leave. And uh, you know, you'd have a musical group that was singing something. You'd have a comedy where me and Blake would come out. We'd either do a routine or we'd yeah. do like a, uh, a situation comedy, like, you know, we're in an apartment bitching about life or this kind of a thing. And then it was also where you would build on the, on the, on the thing. The biggest built person wasn't the last one on. They were like the third to last one on because people would get so excited when that person would leave, the next person would come on. You, you die because people weren't listening to you because they're still talking about this at the headliner. Yeah, yeah. So it was a very crazy industry. And to, well, to I mean, stand that's out, like we're talking about like, you know, the teens, way back then, you the know, 20s. Houdini. Yeah. And that's why they have like the, uh, the story, the legend. I mean, I don't know if it's true, but the legend of like Buster Keaton is that like he got named Buster because his family was on one of these shows, circuits, yeah. these circuits with Houdini. And Buster was a little kid. He took a... Th- spilled down some stairs, smacked his head into like the radiator at the end of the stairs. And then he just got up and shook it off. And Houdini was like, man, that was a real buster. Yeah. And then so from that on, that became, that became, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's like the legend of how he got, got started called buster. But that's like a perfect example of like Houdini at the time. I mean, I don't know about that time, but probably around that time, most famous person in the world probably. Yeah, yeah and like, he was probably the headliner on. I mean, the, the for the vaudeville circuit, the end thing was you were going to play the Palace on 47th and 7th in Manhattan. You got to the Palace Theater and you played the Palace. That was the cream of the crop. On uh, you, you made it on the vaudeville circuit. And then what happened was radio started and people started going over to radio and people were like, you know, radio ain't going to last. And like, yeah, it is. And that's Jack Benny, George Burns. They all jump ship. They all go to radio and radio becomes this huge phenomenon. Yeah. And it completely kills vaudeville along with talkies yeah. because a lot of these theaters when in the when 
the, in the teens into the 20s when they started adapting themselves to show a, a, a movie they still had these acts where you show a movie and then you'd stop and someone would come on stage you'd have an organ player there they do some and there were still live acts until like the early 30s so that's why a lot of early early theaters if they're still around you could see it looks like a stage because they would do have stage yeah. acts over there. It's an amazing. And, and, then was, that, and then those same people in radio then segue into television. Yeah. The and they're doing the same thing. I mean, like, you know, you look at like uh, the first two seasons of the Flintstones, the cartoon show. If you close your eyes, that's a radio show. Yeah. You know, there's nothing going. Everything is described in dialogue. It's amazing. So a lot of these routines end up showing up from they're translated from vaudeville into radio. You have to adapt it slightly because it's radio. And then, like Jack Benny says, sometimes when you go to TV, half of the routines wouldn't work because you have to then physically dramatize them. So you can't just have a joke where, you know, the, you know, the audience can imagine in their head, you have to actually do the beat yourself and the physicality of you walking down the street or you, you know, throwing in. So it's, it's, it's so interesting. And then the cutthroat businessmen on like the Lowell's and the people who own these theaters, because all these theaters were privately owned on these circuits. They were such assholes to the people who were trying to get like a start. And then, you know, sure. they were, you had to be part of the union, but then you got no money because you're paying all your union dues and you're stuck on this. And that's why a lot of these people were like, would play every city in the country. These, the, the old like Pittsburgh's, Milwaukee's, all these circuits, Syracuse, New Haven, you know, it, it's, it's, it's so amazing. And to go out on this, to, to get back to the movie we're talking about today, it's, uh, you know, you, we talked about the Three Stooges. There was a guy named Tom Healy, and Tom Healy was, you know, he, he got these guys together. It was Tom Healy and his Three Stooges where he would just be a guy. He was the straight man, and he would knock around these other guys in the act, and what happened was he was a drunk, and uh, the other two guys just didn't like that. He, he would get on stage drunk and really, like, hit him and stuff. So they said, why the hell do we need this guy? They dropped Tom Healy, and it just became the Three Stooges, and then... You know, uh, they, 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 Feinberg became Larry Fine, and yeah. I think it was like how Horowitz became just Mo Howard. Howard brought his Shemp in the brother, and then they, then they jumped to TV or to, to, to movies, movies yeah. and that was it, you know. And they, they dumped Tom Healy. Tom Healy was in a movie we did, he was in Mad Love, yeah. Uh, he was the straight man, the reporter in Mad Love, a Peter Laurie movie we did uh, in October one, uh, a, a year ago, and then he ended up dying because he was beat to death out in the back alley because he was drunk. On the day his son was born, he was going to every pub, a pub crawl, and but, he got into a fight. But then these acts become, you know, there are first sitcoms, and then in the and then this, you know, the TV and the sitcom becomes a thing, and then that's where we, that's where Carl Reiner gets his yeah writing, and then get, his, gets his thing. And then to think about it, it's amazing jokes. how I mean, look at Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor got his start in writing. You know, it's like, but it's amazing to see that like a guy like Carl Reiner who got his start in television because at the time now television and films i think there's a lot more interchangeable crossover but to then jump to feature films and tough then have a really kind of successful career throughout the late 70s into the 80s as a comedy director with you know with like really a a very with like a contemporary style of comedy in a lot of ways yeah i mean yeah there's, there's classic you know comedy stuff and and just some of the stuff with john candy and stuff in this movie uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, timeless in a certain way. But, I mean, like Summer School, for instance. Yeah. I mean, that's an, yeah, that is an 80s <laughs> I mean, you know, comedy, you, let's, you know? You know he did Oh God, 1977 with George Burns. He did The Jerk in 79. Dead Man Don't Wear Plaids, 82. The Man with Two Brains with Steve Martin. That's a movie I haven't seen in 30 years. 83. All of Me. Um, Summer Rental. Summer School in 87. Um, 
Fatal Instinct. That's that spoof off a of basic instinct I'm called the I'm a big fan of that one. You know? Sean Young and And then that old feeling from ninety seven with um Bette Midler and um What's his face here? Dennis Farina, you know, but it's, you know, you could, he, he did in the eighties. He was put pumping out some solid. And he was not, you know, you know he said he wasn't like a spring chicken. I mean, like his son was now at the same time, contemporary. His son was a contemporary. I mean, his son was, had done spinal tap and had done stand by me right yeah. around this time. I mean, let's, and he directing. And let's yeah, put it this directing. way. Mr. Reiner was born March 20th, 1922 in the Bronx. Yeah. So he's 94 as of this recording. So, uh, that means 34, 44, 54. So he's 30 in 1954. So, you know, uh, 64. So he's entering his 60s when he's doing all this stuff. And it, they're really funny stuff. Um, there's a great movie. If we kind of curve this back to, to, to the summer movies and summer rental, there's a movie that, that, you know, everyone talks about summer movies. And there's a movie which I thought I, I brought up maybe on the one of the other lighthearted comedy casts that we did, maybe the John Candy one, and it's called Mr. Dobbs Takes a Vacation. It's from 1962, I think, and it's Jimmy Stewart. And a lot of aficionados say that's the first kind of summer vacation movie where it's Jimmy Stewart like wants to get his family on vacation. He takes him, he rents this house in California. He gets to the, the house, and it's one. it looks like basically the Adams Family house, but it's out like on the middle of a beach. Yeah, yeah. So and then it's like the, the, the trials and tribulations of him just trying to have a relaxful afternoon. He's trying to read a big like war piece out in the front lawn, and this really bosomy lady comes out and sits next to him, and his wife's looking outside, and the, the girl's like, what are you reading? Like, hanging all over him, and he's looking at the cleavers. Well, I, I, um, war and peace, you know? And, and like, the, the yeah. wife's looking, so... What year was that? 62. And when, it, when uh, what is that movie called? Uh, like, Monsieur Hulot takes a holiday? There's a, there's a French comedy that's very funny. I don't that's know. It's also a very uh, Maybe that's summer These could be related. Um, this is 62, Mr. Hobbs Takes a Vacation. Uh... And uh, it's got Maureen O'Hara. She plays the uh, his wife in it, uh, great Irish actress. But it's funny. But it's one of these. It's and my point is that this this like I said, Summer Rental could be this movie in the '60s with Carl Reiner starring. Oh sure. Where Carl Reiner t- is trying to just I can just picture Carl Reiner, this big guy, trying to take the kids out, and you have all these hilarious things that happen like every scene like i said in this movie has a bit of comedy where you have like the neighbors when they get to the house he gets a sunburn you're talking about summer rental. summer rental now yeah, yeah yeah uh you know uh the lobster part you know uh the wrong house you know the terrible rental house um you know the the noise of the next door then you have the beachgoers passing the house you have the lifeguards come out with his daughter you have like the beach walk you have the him having to pump a float up you know uh the frisbee the vol- you know the, every scene has this little coda that you know, irritates or just John Candy can't have a good day. But you know? it's like all grounded in truth. Yeah, exactly. You know, which it's is like what everybody will feel like. We can all relate to it. Like we all gotten sunburned and, at some point. And John Candy, luckily, you know, to his detriment, not detriment or even to his benefit, isn't like, you know, he's not like a Brad Pitt or a George Clooney. So we can look at like, oh, this guy who has these kind of... um not conflictions, but these kind of things we do. He's, you know, bigger guy. He's, you know, not, you know, um, like a Clint Eastwood, like a model. So, like, yeah. we can identify with a guy like who's just, just trying to take his kids out on a vacation and then everything's going wrong. And it's very much, you know, in the style of the National Lampoon movie, which he ends up cameoing at Wally World at the very end, John Candy. Yeah. You know, so that's why maybe I've always attributed it, like, you know, them taking a, taking a car out and going, like, on a thing. And you have, like you said, these great... 
uh, co-stars in there. You have Rip Torn in there, who's freaking hilarious, who to me seems like they based like the Simpsons pirate on, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you have the great Richard Crenna in there, who plays a really, really almost steals the show for his overacting that makes it yeah. like it's he overacts so much it becomes great again you know what I yeah mean? i mean richard krenner definitely he plays like uh obviously like a wealthy guy who lives in this summer florida town year round yeah he plays al uh pellet and so he's got a chip on his shoulder for all like yeah, he's he's a little well off and it's, like, his, it's his place yeah you know he's a townie but he has and but he, and then he has you know all these vacationers come in you know a lot of a lot of these uh, like, you know, the people that are like the working na- class. are are na- the people that are native to like the town. They'll call them p- carpet baggers. Yeah, and they these people come in for a few months and act like they own the place, and then they leave. And so Richard Crenna has this chip on his shoulder, and he's also just kind of an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he's very much, <laughs> but a, but a but an amazing asshole you know, in this movie. I, I um, while we were in college, I waited and I I waited at a country club, Woodbridge Country Club in Connecticut, in Woodbridge, Connecticut, and. I, you know, I meet a lot of these kind of people where yeah, it's yeah. like where I waited, um, no money was ever exchanged hands. They would just have like a, uh, you'd write all their stuff on a ticket and then they would put their like, uh, membership number and they'd sign it. And then I guess maybe at the end of the month they get billed. And then our payment, there was no tips. The gratuity was kind of in our hourly wage. And they, a lot of them treated us like they freaking owned us, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, the um, the guy who ran Starter, the, the member for a while, the Starter Jackets, mm-hmm. they were huge. And before, like, I think all the teams realized, Jesus, we can just license it ourselves and make a shitload of money. <laughs> yeah. Well, the guy who ran Starter out of New Haven, he was married to Paula Abdul at the time, Paula Abdul. So they used to go to the country club, and it's just people were real assholes. And you see a lot of these people. Yeah. And it was just a weird thing to me. I always thought, like, so odd that I would do the lunch crowd, and then I would do the dinner crowd. And at lunch... You'd have all these wives that would come in that were like in their 60s, 70s. They had like two inches of makeup on. And this is what they would do every day. They'd come in. They'd waste their money, you know, buying however much this cost. They'd talk to the same people every day. They'd talk about the woman who wasn't there yet. And then when she'd get there, they'd talk about somebody else. Their husbands were out playing golf. on the, And this, was, this is what they did every day. And then they'd leave and they'd, they'd drinking all day. They'd come back for dinner. They'd be with their husbands and they'd all be in these great, you know, like dressed up like him in these blazers yeah, and all yeah. that kind of thing. And this was this weird life there. This is like all these older people, you know. And I remember I did a documentary in, in, in college and not to get too far, but I had a, like an injury on my hand that looked like, like a cigarette burn. And uh, one of the women's like, is that a cigarette burn? She's like, I can tell. Like these old, like like she knew what cigarette burns look like or something. <laughs> it was just such an odd world of these rich, entitled people who feel like just like you're the you're the help. Yeah, yeah. You I know? mean, that's a, I mean, his the introduction to him is like such an amazing scene because we all know what it's like to be the little guy. Yeah, and to be like kicked, what kind of while we're yeah. down? So, uh, John Candy is they him and his family have been waiting to get into. They this just fancy. got to the to the where they were going, like the the, the town, and, and they decide to go out to dinner at like the big. <laughs> like nice restaurant yeah, like the town. lobster seafood restaurant so they're waiting in line for hours and hours and hours and uh, which we can all fucking relate to yeah. whether it's like waiting to get on a ride at disney world oh, Jesus. or whatever you know just like standing and waiting in line and the only thing keeping them going is that like they're gonna get lobsters when There's we get up there. Lo- there's a big tank of lobsters they're watching <laughs> and they're watching this tank of lobsters go down 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 Richard kind of strolls right in gets like, and they're next yeah yeah they're and there's ne- like four lobsters left or five lobsters left and they're yeah. like those are our lobsters we're next to get the table and Richard kind of strolls and gets basically their table because he's, he's, right- he's like excuse me can you get out of the way please because <laughs> <laughs> he's, 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 he's a regular and then he gets the last five lobsters and i think why 
another reason why we really connect with this movie is one because we know that situation yeah. we know what it's like to be treated that way um and we know what it's like to wait for something and then be let down and then we we identify we champion John Candy because Candy stands up for himself. Yeah, it's not a movie where he yeah. just like takes. He's like, okay, kid, let's, let's just leave. Yeah, and it now. doesn't build up until the end where he explodes at the end through the movie. He's actually giving it back with the Krenna. These are my lobsters. Well, these yeah. are your thing. This is your wife. You yeah, know, it's yeah. all that. You know, that's all these scenes. It's so funny. I told people we're doing this movie, and they automatically started saying these are. My lobster, or like, you know, you're getting the, what is it, the Five Amigo Special or whatever, the <laughs> yeah, single, yeah, yeah. single Special, and then it's like, you know, the fish sticks. Fish sticks, yeah. You know, it's it's so, it, this uh, is a movie that endears to people, you know? Yeah, because we can all identify with it. And I think in some level, you know, I think most of us have all been on these kinds of summer vacations, like you were saying before. Now, this producer, uh, Bernie Brillstein, who did produce this movie, produced our last week's movie, Ghostbusters, and the story comes from, he says that... He returned one night to find his house crawling with uninvited guests invited by Bernie's client, John Belushi, uh, who were soaking wet in sand-filled trunks, sleeping in his bed. So that's why all these people yeah, yeah. is one of the reasons Which why. Which is a hilarious scene. It's just so, I mean, I again, as you get older, you have different inflections on th- things. And it's just, I can't imagine having to deal with that whole day and coming oh, home. I wouldn't and, have put up with it and for the, half a second. And you all know these me. people. I was sticking them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you wouldn't have left the house. You would have been there the whole day sitting in the kiddie pool. And that's another thing that made me think of. I mean, I guess people with kids now already thought of this, but seeing him sitting in the kiddie pool, I had just a flash in my mind of, do you remember being in a kiddie pool? Oh, yeah. You remember like feeling like, you know, with that fake little two-inch slide? And yeah. it's like, I had like a Dukes of Hazard kiddie pool. And it just brought me back to me just sitting in the backyard. Or it's reminiscent of our... Uh, we're going to Bernie's cast where they're sitting on the roof. Oh, the roof. yeah, in the Bronx or wherever they are in Brooklyn <laughs> and it's in the, the Tars Melton. That's a great cast again. Uh, uh, weekend of Bernie's. That was our last summer's summer's cast. Yeah. Talking about the heat of Manhattan. And there was somebody Manhattan. that trashed that movie on our Facebook page. I was shocked. I know. people. Some people have a lot like of... How could, like, how could you not like Weekend of Bernie's? Yeah. And you're like, that's a valid opinion. Or that's that's one way to look at it. <laughs> um but this is, it's its one of these things where all these things happen to him. Like, you know, he comes so, you know, and it just builds up. It's hilarious. He takes the four-week vacation. He gets to the to the house. He, uh, while he's there, he gets this horrible tan, you know, that's oh, un- sunburn. sunburn yeah. that's unbearable. That night, he goes out to the lobster shack. He meets Richard Crenner. He loses the lobsters. He gets kicked out. He goes to, he can't find a place to eat. So the... the, the They're staying the, in the wrong house. Which is well, yeah, they even, got, they even got to that point. The gas station attendant sends him to like this other shitty oh, place. Barnacle. Barnacle, where he meets, he meets Rip Torn, who's the pirate who oversees it. And he gets the five single special, which is, I'm probably saying that wrong, which is just fish sticks, frozen fish sticks. Yeah, yeah. He gets home, goes to bed, wakes up in the middle of the night to intruders that are actually his... Uh, the that, people that actually own that house. Yeah, because he goes to the wrong house. It's it, They're at like lane instead of road. And then he's like, oh shit. And then you think of how uncomfortable that must be and i remember that being like a huge laugh that maybe people you know it's like a left turn people didn't think of yeah yeah because at first you're like oh they robbing the house and then it's like no they that they belong there it's hilarious oh, and yeah. then he's I, when he's dropping the bag of food you know what i mean and it's like oh god he's like i forgot i forget he forgot something and then he comes down with his daughter and i forgot my daughter, I forgot my daughter. and then it's like oh you, pee, you you didn't pee in my bed honey you peed in their bed and he was like kind of a dick and he's getting and then he takes the car goes to this other place it's a horrible place wakes up nothing's working it's disgusting they're trying to eat breakfast and then 
they see, start seeing people go by, and this is I, that stuff I remember from watching when I was little. Oh yeah, you know, and it's like he realizes that his his bungalow is right next to the path to get to the beach, you know, and there's like you know there's yeah, and it looks like they're all locals. They probably just got all locals to, to be extras. Yeah, yeah. The they're like, why? Where's everybody going? <laughs> so why are you guys walking by here? And then he sees that the path, which is classic. It's such like a subtle kind of like funny joke yeah. one that like not a lot of people would think of like and then it's like everybody walks has to walk by the and it's window. a little it's another little knock it's a, another little poke in the bear of poor john candy like another thing that's happening to him and then it's like you know and then he's stuck at the house and you know and th- they go out with him he hurts his, uh, th- by that point does he hurt his leg no he goes out they, he goes to meet him outside and then he uh he goes out on the beach and he and he takes everybody oh, there. Yeah, the cooler. Yeah. He's he's got his daughter. Cooler, the cooler's cooler's leaking on everybody. On <laughs> he's stepping on people's food. He sits down. As soon as he gets down, takes everything off. His little daughter's like, "Can you blow this float up?" He's like, "Oh." And he tries to blow the float up. His daughter's there with his wife. They're in like these beautiful bikinis. Did you know his wife in this movie? Um, I think her name is Karen Austin. She was only twenty nine when she did this. Well, he was probably only like thirty. I know. But it's just so crazy to think to me she doesn't look 29. Not to say she looks old, but I always look at these movies like they should be older than me. And to think yeah. that this girl's 29. But it's funny because her daughter, in it, who I think her name was uh, Carrie, Carrie Green, the older yeah, girl. Yeah, Carrie Green, yeah. Of course. There's only like, a 12-year different, 12-year yeah. difference. So she would have been 12 and John Candy knocked her up for that. Carrie Green, uh, you know, definitely a childhood crush. Yeah. You know, if not from this. Goonies. Yeah. She's in Lucas. Yeah. And... Uh, Another one of the, she wasn't exactly in the Brat Pack, but she was a solid. Uh, you know, There's a movie that I can never remember the title of. Um, maybe we can get an intern on it where she's it's her and Charlie Sheen, and the guy that plays Cameron from Ferris Bueller. Is it called she, um, vo- um, Maximum Velocity? <laughs> no, is? no, it's like she's a pain in the ass, and there's something wrong there. And he's her, her her dad is like Charlie Sheen's boss. And Charlie Sheen agrees to like drive her cross country to someplace. That sounds um, familiar. It was like the last thing I really remember her in because it was right when Three she for was, the road. Yeah, it was right when she eighty seven. It's right when she's getting Thank out you. of that Thank like. You, Susie. That sh- <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Susie. Right when she's getting out of the uh, the little the little girl yeah, thing. like she's starting to work away to, to being an adult. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, Goody's she's in it. No, I mean, Lucas, just those three movies, fucking yeah, she's a little she's a little doll. But just like right there, that's like eighties gold right there. Yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a hell of a three pack right there. And she ended up dubbing the the littlest daughter Aubrey Jean. She dubbed the lines, so it's like her playing the same two different roles. Um, and then we have, of course, Joey Lawrence, <laughs> a young Joey Lawrence. I wonder if this is his first appearance. Much like Corey Feldman in Time After Time, where he's pointing to like Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, he. I bet you this has got to be. I mean, when was? Uh, give Whoa. me a break. Oh, I don't know. Because that was like the first. That was that was a TV show with Nell Carter, and that was like that's when he became really famous was from being on that show. Yeah. And then as a teenager, obviously he was on Blossom, and then he kind of aged. He tried to change his name in the two thousands to Joseph Lawrence. But we weren't buying it. <laughs> yeah, we knew we knew we knew all well who he really was. But yeah, little Joey yeah, Lawrence. He's and he's really good. And his in this. brothers all became actors too. Yeah, and I mean he's great in this movie too. Um, and you know it, it's there's a line in it I think when he's really down and he says like you know someone says to him to John Candy you can't win them all, and then John Candy's line is yeah but one would be nice. I think it's the daughter says that to him. Yeah, and it's just it really. You know, for me, again, this movie, it really gives you hope. These people who now, you know, we live in an age where, like, our our parents' generation, like, it was fine for them to get a job as 
whatever. And they were happy with that. And for some reason, for better or for worse, now we live in an environment now with people our age and younger who are like, wait a minute, isn't there more than life than just working a nine to five job in a factory for their, you know, I'm supposed to be special. And yeah. I, mean, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing that everybody in the world now wants to be special and do their own thing. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think our parents are, they come from a generation where their parents were either immigrants or grew up during like the, the depression, the depression you know, and, and, you know, and they certainly had world war two to contend with. It was just so a very different war. priorities. So they had drilled into them this idea of, you know, work and family. Yeah. And then I think they kind of felt like they missed out on something. Yeah. So for better or worse, maybe worse. That's what I'm saying. We all know. They then encouraged our generation to go f- become seek out to, and be you know individual your dreams yeah and it's hard now because then you don't have people who want to be carpenters or a lot of these jobs we need electricians because people want to do bigger and better things and i mean we're getting into a whole other debate but it's you look at john candy and certainly well he wanted to be a pilot yeah and, he and then he had a family he had a kid and he had to settle for being an air traffic controller of all things. it's not even he's not even working with the planes physically he's working with them kind of detached so it's sad he's in an office looking at a freaking radar screen every day. And, yeah. and you certainly see at the beginning of the movie, he's burnt out. You know, he's, he's trying to get to work late in it down, going to Atlanta. He's trying to eat an egg and he, you know, it's the wrong, it's not even a hard boiled <laughs> egg. And then the coffee's wrong. He gets to work and someone parks in his spot. And it's just like all the commuting issues. And it's just, everybody can identify with everything. And, he, and he's such a nice guy. He's not like the Bill Murray asshole where he's delivering these lines. Yeah. And we're like, are we supposed to identify with him? You know, a lot of those early scenes remind me of, uh, the first part of Mr. Mom. Oh, yeah. Like when Michael Keaton is. Yeah, he's another one that for last week's cast, Ghostbusters, they, 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 he turned down playing maybe Venkman's character. How cool would have that been? That would have been an interesting part. I mean, you know. I think it would have worked. I love Michael Keaton. I can watch Michael Keaton read the phone book, you know. But uh, looking forward to that Ray Kroc movie. He's, He's playing Ray Kroc in a movie about Ray Kroc in the beginning of McDonald's. Really? It's coming out soon. Wow. But yeah, but but that reminds me, it's very reminiscent that like the 80s, you know, you also have to take account you had like the 80s was also like you had women in the work, going back into the workforce. Working nine to five. Working nine to five. You know, and they were. We passed the the 70s like, you know, know, all the revolution, all the, our parents' generation were finally like sick of the squares that their parents were you know, protest the Vietnam War, you guys are assholes. And then you come into women's lib and all burning your draft card. Then you get out of the 70s with free love and cocaine and sex and the 80s hit. <laughs> you know, you get AIDS and you're like, fuck, this is what happens when you overindulge and everything. So then the 80s, you get like all this, but it that becomes I, standardized. But standardized. That, yeah, yeah. And that idea of like the nine to five grind yes. is a very... Uh, the present thing theme, in eighties yeah. movies, yeah, in 80s yeah, especially movies. corporate. You know, you're you're the businessman in this no name company. You know, working in a cubicle that you're starting to see that, or you're you're this. You know, you know, you're, it's a montage with some eighties song, and you're trying to do whatever, get to work, or you know, or, and in the context of rent, summer rental, it's only like the first ten minutes of the movie, not even, I but mean, it, you know, but it's it's perfectly sets up his. Yeah, it per- sets up like the need for this vacation yeah. and what he's been dealing with. And he's going gr- begrudgingly. He doesn't really want to go on. He's, you know, we say he's put on mandatory vacation, but he's like, I don't need a vacation. They're like, yeah, yeah go. And then the wife's like, you know, we'll have fun. And then he's like, yes, you know, he, he, he resigns the fact you're right. Let's, let's you know, take Make advantage of this. Of this yeah. And then everything just goes wrong as soon as you, he, like, he leaves the house <laughs> with the U-Haul. You well, know? it seems like for oh, a second. Know, remember, as, as soon as he gets out, she's like, I got to go to the bathroom. And he's like, oh, <laughs> he didn't even turn off the street yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know. And then, uh, 
they get down to and then uh, he ends up you know we don't need to get into like beat per beat scene per scene but we get into this thing where he injures his leg when he tries to take joey lawrence out sailing because he remembers sailing as a kid um talks about his sailing it's one thing i wanted to look up which i never looked up was i was always wondering where like he mentions like summer camp where he used to sail yeah and then of course we grew up with a cartoon called camp candy Yes, I wonder if it's the and same. And I wonder, as... and I forgot to look it up. I wanted to see if... Did he do the voice work, I wonder, on Camp Candy? I don't know. I def- there were interstitials, weren't there? Yeah. Maybe, like, you know, f- you know, uh, coming into the show, yeah. I think he was in them. And uh, so he tries to take... His... I completely, that's a show I completely forgot about. <laughs> yeah. Because that went on to get, like, on Nickelodeon, you had, like, Salute Your Shorts. So there was, like, a subgenre of, like, remember Hey Dude? Yeah. Like, of, of like, either being on a dude ranch or a resort or being at a summer camp, you know? And it's, it's funny that was, like, a... Yeah, Camp Candy. A setting, it was you know? a Saturday morning cartoon yeah. show in like the late 80s. Around, remember the time of Bobby's World with Howie Mandel's show yeah. with Bobby, and then there was the other guy with, they gave, what's his face, a cartoon? Uh, the guy who used to do for, the comedian who for a minute did um, uh, Family Feud. Dawson? No. Oh, the... Not Richard Dawson. <laughs> I should give him Richard oh, Dawson Oh, Life with Lou, or Louis Anderson. Yeah, Louis Anderson. What was that cartoon? That's that was right. Life with like, oh, you know. Can you imagine a Richard Dawson cartoon show? He just kisses everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that was like Richard Dawson in a cartoon show. Survive says. <laughs> Bing. That's a cartoon. I think he's doing this one. He's doing that. that he yeah, always like has that puckered look. face. He has that puckered face from Match Game. But tan. Uh, that, that, he has that Florida tan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Camp Candy. So... Yeah. Uh, the sailing thing, he remembers being a sailor. He remembers sailing, and then he gets he in, rams in his movie, boat yeah. accidentally into, into Richard Crenna's boat, and he hurts his leg. Yeah. So very then true. we have like a very another like very familiar story uh, device, which is like he can't go out he's and stuck have at home. fun. Yeah. He's stuck at home. Well, you know, go ahead, tell his family, go out, go head out, go to do the thing, do what you got to do. And he remember he's trying to watch the TV, and it's not coming in. And right. It won't come in. He leaves the house, it locks, and then the. the, the dog gets up on the TV, so he's his food, and it comes in perfect, and he's stuck outside. and Just, the, you know, shenanigans, yeah. like perfect shenanigans. But this device of, like, he's kind of now stuck in the house during his summer vacation to the beach, which then segues into, like, what I think is a really great plot device, which is, like, he goes off and starts to have his own vacation yeah, without his family, you know, because... You have, like, the summer family vacation aspect where you do everything together. But in a way, like, you know, he's he's this is a mandatory vacation because, like, he's stressed out about, like, his life. So he needs he needs he ends up having, like, his own vacation, which is needed, which is like he goes back to the barnacle, gets drunk with the Rip Torn, and then Rip Torn starts to teach him how to sail for real. And that becomes, like the real storyline of this movie. It goes from being like this summer family movie to being like a guy who needs to have me time. Yeah. And starts to have it by sailing the oceans, you know, sailing, learning how to sail. He forms like a friendship with this guy who has a hook for a hand, but like, Oh, you know, you know, wanted to have, you know, could tell like there's hints at like a dream, yeah, passed you know, like him he by. Didn't, yeah, like he didn't want this, and um, it becomes like a very poignant story. And he to has me. to do something that, like, he has to win it. For the entire movie, every scene, literally, he something's going wrong for him, or it's another hang up, it's another poke of the bear. But at the end of it, he needs to have, and he needs to have a victory. He needs to be able to say to himself, "I've accomplished something, maybe even in life, but which just this w- race, which comes into effect with like this this sailing race." Yeah. 
where he has a wager with Richard Crenna because Richard Crenna ends up buying the house that he lives in. Which a hilarious, is a hilarious <laughs> scene that takes place at the guy's funeral. Yeah, because John Candy's trying to get in touch with the landlord because of how shitty it is that when they moved in and they can't. So finally, John Candy goes, oh, it's before I think he hurts his leg as well. He's like, you know, I've got a line of where he is. I'll be back. And it's a funeral home. And he goes in. And it's the guy's wake that the, 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 the superintendent or the guy who owns the house died. And he was like, who am I going to talk to? And Richard Crenn is in line. He shows up to the funeral home in like shorts. Does manage to bring a blazer. Yeah. And he's like looking at the guy. He's like, oh, okay. And then right after he pays his respect to the guy while they're still at the casket, he takes the stuff and he tries this. He's trying to sign the, the papers over to, so he owns And it. that and elderly he, woman comes in to like view the body. He's like, will you give me some room here? As he's trying to sign. <laughs> and then he ends up shutting the coffin lid and signs <laughs> on the coffin lid. And he gives it back to the guy and he says something to the guy too. He's like, you know, thank you, Bernie or whatever like that. It's, I mean, Richard Crenna, let's say. 1985, Richard Crenna also puts out Rambo 2. Yeah. That's the same year. And Richard Crenna, great actor. Uh, I love him going back to the 1960s. He's in a, a favorite of mine called The Wait Until Dark with um, mm-hmm. Alan Arkin and uh, Audrey Hepburn. He's in another great movie called The Sand Pebbles with Steve McQueen and Candace Bergman, which is really good. He's got a very funny story where, like, um, I had heard, I hadn't talked to him, but he's saying in the mid-70s where Steve McQueen had stopped working kind of after the Towering Inferno and grown this huge beard and was just, you know, mulling around California where he lived. And Richard Crenn is driving one day, like, on a, a seaside road with his top down. And all of a sudden, this guy goes flying by on his motorcycle, and he hears, Crenna! <laughs> and he looks, and it's Steve McQueen just on a motorcycle with his big fuck-off beard. And he's like, oh, what the hell? You know, but I mean, and then he turns out being Troutman and Rambo. Yeah. That endears himself to our generation entirely. Sure. And he ends up doing Rambo 2. He does Rambo 3. And you, yeah. you got to think of 87. He's you know, got to be a little older. And I'm sure there's a, a, a bunch of other great movies that he's in. Oh, yeah. Rich Crenn is great. And just... He's just... In this he part, has he a stamps it up in such a, a way. Yeah. He has a style of acting. Yeah. That just lends itself perfectly for Troutman. Yeah. And then lends itself perfectly for this character. Such like an asshole. Yeah. That you just kind of love to hate in a certain way. And that scene with the funeral is just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's after Candy's leg gets better because that's when he says to Candy, he's like, you got, you know, you have to move your family out, but you need you out of the house by Saturday. He gives him the check and he rips the check up in his face. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, he t- kind of rips it up in John Candy's face. So later on, uh, Candy comes up with this scenario. And after, w- I think it's after seeing his daughter and the, the daughter's like, they have that exchange of, uh, she's down. The kids don't want to leave. Yeah. They're having, they're having a fun time because he, he tells them that they have to leave. They're supposed to have like two weeks left on their vacation. Yeah. The they're daughter's all, having a fun time. Because they're all she's, upset. She's getting like, she's getting to the part of her life where she's, you know, sexuality is becoming aware and she's talking to these lifeguard guys. So, she may have a relationship, which is, again, very much like that movie, Mr. Dobbs Takes a Vacation with the yeah. daughter in that movie. So, and then he, John Candy's wrestling with that. Yeah, and so he comes up with this plan that he's going to basically wa- have put a wager with Krenna. Yeah. It's a completely unbelievable wager where it's like, you know, Krenna's, he's a sailor per se, like uh, he has his own yacht, but which they do all around the world and all around the country. They have these, you know, boating competitions. So you think that these people, you know, I've known a friend of mine who I work with, uh, is on a team that does this on Lake Apacon in uh, New Jersey. It's the biggest lake in New Jersey. And it's like, you know, you have to be trained to do this thing and it's a relay race and you have to yeah. be really... So it's funny that thing like Krenna's doing it 
and you know, Krenna looks like subtly over the hill for me to believable that he's actually going to be it unless he's well, just working orders I think, out. I think, yeah, I get the sense that Krenna is just like he's on the boat. Yeah, and yeah, he just hires, no matter what. he hires a team. Yeah, yeah. he's like Geraldo. He's going to do you know everything. like he thinks he's doing it. In his mind, he's doing it, and he wins every year. Yeah, but it's just he every. But it's like he just hires the people people that do it, and he sits there. And you have John Candy, who suddenly discovers, like, wait a minute, we have access to this boat that's rotting at the the barnacle, barnacle, which is Rip Torn's boat. We're gonna put this thing into sailing ship shape. Get rid of all like there's even like um, stuff uh, growing on the sides, you know, because the hull's been sitting there that long. And they're going to get it in the tip-top shape, get a boat ready, and they're going to just enter this competition right when the, the, the boats are coming up to the finish line. Uh, I heard Casey Kasem maybe has a, uh, a cameo in here. Somebody has a cameo in here that does the voiceover, that does just the voice of the, the, the race. Huh. Um, remember John Larry Kett shows up? Yeah. He's in it. That's my part. And uh, another person from Night Court, too. Um, it's, uh, the Austin, what's her face? The, the, the mother... Karen Austin, she was on Night Court, I guess, for the first season. And uh, John Larry Kett was still on the show, and he was filming episodes when he was doing this movie. But uh, Austin, the female's character, was ev- evidently replaced by Charles Robinson in the second season hmm. uh, of Night Court. And I'm a big fan of Night Court, which I haven't <laughs> seen for 20 years, but yeah, they just yeah. started airing them now again on re- rerun. This idea... Uh, so he, he makes this wager about, like, if you win... I owe you the money and I get out. And I pay you the money and I leave. If I win, we get to stay and... Free of charge. Free of charge. So that becomes like the device... He like storms into a a restaurant too. He gives his wager and he's like, all right. So it's like, that's a pretty tall order, Mr. Candy, but you know... Which is another reason why we we endear ourselves to that character. Again, standing up for himself. And... uh, That becomes like the plot device that then propels us into the third act. And the competition is what where this movie you know inevitably becomes like he's been he's lost at every point of this story as you've kind of you know you've said throughout the whole movie he's lost he loses every shitty things he needs this one victory yeah now what I find interesting is like these this idea of the sailing competition is also like an 80s motif I mean you're just saying that they're happening all over the world yeah but like one crazy summer is all revolved around a sailing yeah, competition. yeah. it's all this it's all these outdoor events you have to do like uh, you know and the sailing really you know uh, behooves itself to be this thing where like you know we're gonna be out in the water let's do something I like wonder that. if it's very much like sailing a boat it's very elite yeah. And I wonder if, like, the 80s has that, you know, the ladies, the 80s is full of that, like, class system. Of, yeah. Like, like, you um, look at, like, Caddy Shack where Ted, Ted Knight is, looks down on, like, the other characters, it's like, see, they're yeah. Ronnie Dangerfield. And so, yeah. It seems like, you know, when we look at, like, some of those screwball comedies, it's always very much about, like, the, the wealthy, whether it be, like, you know, Philadelphia story, um, you know, and that. Which is odd because they're all at a time during like the depression and like people poor, literally poor, yeah, like yeah. don't have a pot to piss in for yeah. watching like these yeah, right stories. Right before the war, yeah. Um, and then it seems to make like its way back. It seems like this, like you said, with like Caddyshack. Uh, and I wonder if the sailing motif becomes kind of a motif in these summer movies because of yeah, the, like that the, idea the, 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 the kind of, of like corporate eighties. You this know. is what people do to relax, and you can't like it's almost weekend at Bernie's too. It's like these people are 
Oh yeah, totally. You know, like the, you know, this is what you they do. Go, vac- I mean, there's not a competition, but there's the idea of like they're on an exclusive island, rich yeah, doing they, you know the, the motorboats. You know, it's all it's all you're you're almost like pulling the curtain back on what like the rich people do, and in, in a comedic fashion. This is not like their Gate Gatsby where you're seeing. Like, well, uh, yeah, but you also have. I mean, but at the same time, you also have movies like. Uh, uh, Wall Street. You oh know? yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. It is kind of happening. Also. Yeah, you're right. You're right in straight drama or or stuff like that, or even thriller sense. You're right, and it's it's and like even like uh like what's that dead calm? Isn't that like about their boating too? With uh, yeah, yeah. Nicole? I mean, it's it's a different kind of a plot, but it's you have these. It's, you have a competition kind of a thing, and you have Richard Crenn in this movie being like the he's wearing like the sailor's hat. <laughs> yeah, you know, the yeah. commodore. He he's part of like an elitist club. Like I said, it's like he pays to win every year. Yeah, you know he he, he you know like you said he's very he's like the the, the most famous man in this town. Everyone knows and him. as far as you can really tell, I mean, you know, it looks like <laughs> there are other boats, but because we don't ever see any of the really, like, what's going on yeah. in the other boats. The incisors. It really, just, it really feels like that Richard Credit just wins because he's, like, the only one in the race. Yeah, the and he's got a really sweet-ass boat, you know. And they're able to, in this great montage with this Jimmy Buffett, Buffett song, um, they're able to um, get this boat, uh, Rip Torn's boat into like yeah, tip well, the, top the shape. family comes. They kind of realize that, that it's important to dad, he, and they need to yeah. help him. And so, it, in fact, you know, we get this great thing where it's like he comes f- for the vacation. The family goes off and starts having a good time. He's stuck inside, but then he starts to have his own vacation. Yeah, and then his own little excursion, side excursion of his own me time, becomes what eventually brings the family yeah. together as a unit. And we don't just we don't just hang with John Candy. We see what um. Carrie Allen's do Carrie Allen, um, what she's Green. Do, Car- yeah Carrie Allen isn't Carrie Fisher Carrie Allen. <laughs> um, we see what she's doing. She meets the friend. They go to the the movies. I remember we see the posters for like Dragon Slayer. Oh, yeah, there's some great movies. Dragon Slayer, all Paramount Airplane, Airplane, Dragon Slayer, uh, Uncommon Valor, Footloose, yeah. Top Secret. It's great. They're all like movies playing at a time, and then they're listening to Footloose in the in the headphone. What station are you on? I'm on. 95.5. And Which is like such a... Yeah, it's such an 80s. The, the idea of you know, like... They're not listening just together. The, not even just the Walkman, but the, like the radio earphones. Yeah, they're listening to the radio on the Walkman and then they're tuning in the same station and they're listening yeah, to Yeah, there's loose. so much about this movie. You know? that's so and then just... he put... Remember, he puts the headphones on and he starts hearing the song from um, Beverly Hills Cop. Boo, doo, 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 You know, he's all into it, like dancing a little bit. Uh, you know, there's so much about this movie talking about like, you know, growing up uh, summers on the Jersey Shore and just having like that kind of experience. You know, one of the other things where I think is very funny, and I should have mentioned it in Ghostbusters. You know, you see certain things Our cast in, last in movies. With Ghostbusters, this TV that Sigourney Weaver has. Oh yeah, we had that TV. Oh wow, that, that exact, exact one. television. And in this movie, yeah, John Candy's sheets. You yeah. know, when he comes in and the guy's watching TV in his bed and his dog's sitting there and, yeah. and it's like sand all over the bed. Those sheets, my mom had those sheets. That's hilarious. Those so exact fucking it's, sheets. It's that more, that much more identifiable with you. I was like, oh my God. Those are my sheets. Those, my mom had those sheets. You know, mom, as a you kid, when you, when you know, as a kid, when, when you kid, when you like, didn't feel good and you went to like sleep in your parents' bed and yeah. you, my mom's bed, like those were those sheets. Those oh, were the sheets that were on, those, were on the bed. That's I, I have a memory of that too. Like I remember 
remember my mom made this afghan when she was pregnant with for me so ever every time growing up with the couch if you're going to take a nap on the couch you take this afghan out i remember being ill one night and waiting for my father to get home from work and he was working really late so she had me on the couch on the afghan and it was past my bedtime and i was watching magnum pi because magnum pi came out at nine o'clock at night and i never watched magnum because i was sleeping i was like so great so we had this montage sequence with this jimmy buffett song called turning around which also shows up in the ending credits and i hear that if you're a jimmy buffett fan you weren't able to find this song anywhere else except yeah, on this like, album like it wasn't on as on a regular you know, CD, it was which just is, on the soundtrack which is pretty cool and then you know you can find it on YouTube too and uh, Alan Silvestri did the soundtrack as well and oh yeah I mean we did the, I think we dubbed in Dutch I think we we dubbed Alan Silvestri com- uh, Sleepover Movie Hall of Famer yeah and I'm a big fan of this other movie that he did the soundtrack called Critical Condition starring uh, Richard Pryor and Bob Saget and they released this soundtrack with that on a double album the Critical Condition sound- a movie and this soundtrack that well, Silvestri Silvestri I mean Romancing the Stone Oof. Cat's Eye Oof. Back to the Future Oof. The Delta Force Oof. Predator Oof. Overboard Ugh. Uh, who Framed Roger Rabbit? Love it. Mac and Me. Oh. The Abyss. Dutch. Come on. I mean, come on. Come on. Put that down. <laughs> and when I, I tell some story at some point, I don't remember what cast it was, but I went to go see uh, Back to the Future with live orchestra accompaniment. Yes, accompaniment. And, accompaniment. He, and he showed up and kind of took a bow, even though he did. He wasn't the one uh, conducting the orchestra. But yeah, Al- Silvestri. He, you know, I have a feeling, I'm not positive, but he might have also done, um, and somebody can... Uh, verify this yeah you, you know call me an asshole if i'm wrong but yeah. <laughs> i feel like he might have also done uh hashtag amazing asshole. stories the theme to that the, the it sounds TV very show? yeah it sounds very sylvester it's, it's very it sounds Spielberg-y. very back to the yeah, future yeah. you know yeah it's it's, it's, oh, it's i could be i'm i'm probably wrong about that but i when i hear well, that i think in the of, right place i think of him when i hear that song it's 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 amazing how you equate like like generations or decades with this music wor- yeah, first yeah. you know like i think a spielberg-esque music that like uh john williams were doing like i think of, like say poltergeist or i think of indiana jones or i think of these movies and like batteries not included or goonies and it's like yeah what's well, funny how the you know spielberg another you know tangent how like and like you know john williams didn't even do poltergeist but there is a spielberg yeah-esque kind of yeah a feel, i think uh you know? jerry goldsmith might have done Poltergeist, yeah. but there is like there is a but spielberg had so many hand he had his hands in so many cookie jars in the 80s you know he was just it was it was really a genius of what he was able to do where i'm not going to direct it but i'm going to have somebody else do it and i'm going to just oversee the whole fucking thing <laughs> you know and it's just like, i'm really going to direct it. yeah god bless you you know but um, uh, yeah alan silvestri totally sh- to- yeah. shout out Great, great, good for great, 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 great. Um, the locations we said it was St. Pete Beach near St. Petersburg, Florida, and uh, they shot it on the St. Petersburg Pier, uh, so it was all around that area. And uh, you know, where they had the uh, regatta regalia, remember the, the end of the, yeah. the, uh, the thing. Um, another shout out to an earlier Sorry. cast we did. Uh, we did at the beginning of the year. We did a TV movie called The Night Stalker with um, good old Darren McGavin, God bless him. Yeah. And we talked about that was headed by Paramount Pictures, and at the time heading Paramount Pictures with Barry Diller, God bless him, Michael Eisner, who went on to do Disney, and uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and they were the team here that ended up de- developing this movie. But then they moved on. They all went and did their own thing. Yeah. Eisner went to Disney. Uh, Billy Diller went to go start Fox, uh, the Fox Channel, uh-huh. Fox, um, the, the local Fox. Uh, and then this project ended up getting done anyway. 
So it's interesting that those creative minds who were shitting out some great programming in the 70s, TV movies, uh, you know, they did freaking Dark Shadows and all this Eisner and, 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 sure. and to Billy Diller starting the Fox Network. You know, they, they were the ones that um, gave us this movie. And um, the tagline of the movie was, Life's a Beach, which is kind of a play on Life's a Bitch. Yeah. Which is pretty funny. Um I don't know, and then, like, what else? Like, what other thing stands out for you? I'm wondering. Like, uh, this is another one of the movies that had a quick turnaround. They shot it in March '85, and much like Commando, they wanted it out. It came out by August. They filmed it, and they started in March of '85, and they wrapped around April, and they put it in the post, and it was released in August of '85. So, you know, getting it right out. Yeah. You know? And I it's, don't know. It's like the you know, get the sailing competition, you know, victory for the little man, little guy. You know what I found? Uh, of course, the funny, you know, the funny jokes that stand out, obviously, there's the recurring joke of the woman with new breast implants that wants to show them to everybody. You know, and this is the thing where I hadn't seen this movie in years. And then whenever, like I'd say five years ago, I had the bright idea, like, because I watch movies seasonally. And since it's a summer movie, I'll watch it in the summer. I said, I haven't seen summer rental in freaking years. Let me rent it. And I had a memory that we would see her breasts. And I don't know. I wonder if there's a cut where there you do see them or whatever. And, um... Maybe not. I don't well, know. Well, they say that it originally got like a PG-13. Yeah. And, and a PG-13 they, and then, back then used to get a... Uh, and then they ended up... Softening it to a yeah, PG. Yeah, yeah. And then they saw... So maybe it was like... Maybe there is some cut that you see the breast where it's like that was originally in the PG stuff. Because if you look at it like... I feel like if you look it up on like, you know, Amazon Prime or whatever, yeah. if you want to try to find it to watch, I think they put a little N in there for nudity. And there's not really any nudity. None at all. You don't even see like a button or anything like that. And she was an actress that she did some other stuff too. And I think she could have been tied to um, Night Court as well. The the actress who played that girl, uh, her name escapes me right now. Uh, but anyway, she, uh, the one who played the uh, the woman, the you know, show, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her, she was. I think she was in a movie with John Larroquette or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and Candy at this time, we were talking about this um, already in the Ghostbusters cast because he passed on the Ghostbusters movie. Um, or maybe they said, yeah, he, he passed on it. Uh, he did Summer Rental in 85. He also did um, Volunteers in 85. He also did Splash in 84. And then he also came out with Brewster's Millions in 85 with the remake with Richard Pryor. Yeah. So he, he Candy was working. Yeah. You know, a lot I mean, of this, this you know, is his first, like, starring role. Yeah. But he's but he's still, I mean, he's that's putting in time on a lot of yeah, projects. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're flying all around and stuff like that. And we touch upon it in the um, his life in the... Plane, trains, and automobiles cast, but it's sad how he passed away, you know, doing that. Um, I think it was the Canadian Bacon movie. Um, yeah. You know, and then just, you know, having that heart attack and, you know, at the time. It's so sad. But um, I found it funny. You know, the guy that, on a completely different topic, the guy who's Rip Torn's man in it, the guy who's like the cook. Yeah, yeah. He reminds, like, at the end of it, you know, you, you don't think any of it at the time, but nowadays when I look at it, it's like, you know, you're leaving your daughter alone with that guy. Oh, yeah, like the old Asian guy. Yeah, yeah, and you don't know what he is, and he's, like, doing her hair, and, like, you know, all, all of a sudden I'm just looking for him, like, to take a blade out. <laughs> but he kind of reminded me, like, he's, like, an extra from, like, one of those, like, I Saw the Devil movies, you know that, you know that Korean movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, You know, he's, like, one of the, like, the, the fighters from, like, the, um... Uh, the, the, the raid movies, you know, like you know, he's gonna be one of those. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus, you really want to leave your daughter with that dude? But uh, it's you know, it's just it it's ends up being a uh, it's a quick end. 
it's like you know they just like almost like throw their hands in the air like and like we won and then that's the end of it it's like the movie's over it doesn't need to you don't even need to have like a goodbye or them yeah. leaving the, you know or saying goodbye to Rip Torn you know and it's like I would have loved to seen a sequel to this because like I said I feel so comfortable with this his yeah. family I would love to see what happened to John Candy do, yeah and because you know, because this kind of like beautiful friendship develops between Rip Torn and John Candy's characters you want to kind of see where that yeah, goes yeah you want to see like the next summer yeah they come back yeah you, you know? know and there was a sequel planned um, Candy and Reiner kind of came up with the one it was going to be called The Last Holiday but it never got made so that would have been cool to come out and see like like a, almost like an ending to, to this kind of a thing to these kind of movies um yeah, it's just you know, it, it, it's just funny. And then the the actor who played Angus, the Scottish guy, he's hilarious. Oh yeah, he's in a that lot whole of back stuff. and forth. He was on Seinfeld. Yeah, you know, he looks to me. He always looked like an older man, but in this movie, he's you know, you see him in from front head to toe. He's kind of jacked. He's in like yeah. a lumberjack outfit. He's got a big old mustache and beard. He's talking like in a crazy Scottish brogue. And then to me, like when he was looking for that uh, near the end, when he was looking for that sail that was big enough to go on their schooner yeah. it, it gave me like a michael mann feel like they had this like kind of progressive music on you know what i mean like you see his car driving on the beach in florida yeah, yeah. it was very funny um yeah and it's just it's just it's 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 so nice and then i really like they kept throwing in that like his wife was a photographer and she's always like fiddling around oh, with yeah, the camera yeah, yeah. and it's like you don't know why it's like you always seen his montage of her sitting taking pictures and it's like what you know what is this happening and then i love at the ending there's a payoff where during the credits, you actually they did this cool thing where she's they're putting like five by seven of what she's taken. Or yeah, they're probably yeah. just production still. Sure, but you get, still get to see. Yeah, and it's nice that they're going one over each, so it's not like a uh, like they're they're even dissolving. It's someone physically putting each print down on top of the other. So and then by the end of like whatever the first batch of credits, you know, you see yeah. like it's in the first. It's really nice. Um, yeah, I just it's like this just brings back so many movies, and I don't, you know you can criticize stuff with it. Uh, you know that it's it's you know there's not a huge bit of plot here. It's very um, it's very straightforward. Stuff happens, but I think again maybe it's a it's a testament to, to Reiner uh, and uh, who else he he uh, wrote it with that it's very it's it just hits on every scene. It's just funny every little. It kind of me doesn't get up. Mark Reisman and Jeremy Stevens wrote it. So, but it's, I just love how every scene has a little gag. Yeah. And the gags are funny. They're not like silly or, you know, dated. Now they may be dated because we've seen them a hundred times, yeah. but it's just funny how everything tops. It goes from the sunburn to the lobster, to the house being shitty, to the wrong house, to the, you know, the, he yeah, hits the boat, yeah. he hurts his ankle, he's home alone, people in his house. And it's just, it's just so 80s, everything from him walking around outside and the people and the music and then, you know, and it's just... It's, it's yeah, funny. I mean, it's also it's where it does stand out for the 80s in a summer comedy is that there isn't... Uh, there's not this overt sexuality to it. And that's a very good point. I mean, there is, is very... 80s. Yeah, very like, 80s things. National Lampoon almost. You know, like there's very much like the, you know, when he's driving and Christy Brinkley's driving by, yeah, yeah. you know, or um, what's her face getting out of the uh, or, the you pool. know, obviously you get into things like Nerds in Paradise. Yeah. You know, like Revenge, Revenge of the Nerds, Nerds is insane. Two. Yeah. And All that kind of stuff, which is right around that time. I think like 86, 87 is Revenge of the Nerds. But I guess it's because it's not really about young people. Yeah. You know, it's about a it's about a family. I mean, vacation, obviously, you're talking yeah. about. But that focuses more on the frustrations of the, but, the father. But, but like beach comedies of that era of yeah. like the mid 80s yeah you're gonna see a lot often of had a kind of an overt yeah. sexuality and it's here to a certain you know, extent with the next door neighbor but yeah, it's innocent a little though. bit but it's john like candy's very much like like to me and it's always really weird 
for Chevy Chase's role as uh, what's his name in the in the um, Clark Griswold. Yeah, I always feel like he'll cheat on a drop of a hat. <laughs> You know, and I mean, that's neither here nor there. I'm not judging him, but it's like he has a beautiful wife who's like into him. They're making like F movies that like end up in the second movie getting, you know, like a sex tape gets out there. But it's like, but he's anytime he sees like Christy Brinkley, he's like, uh, he, he goes right for or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whereas John Candy kind of like is trying to talk his way out of it. He's like, yeah. I love my wife. You're beautiful. Those things look great. You know, and it's funny then, the, you know, how funny is the gag where the husband comes out? Well, you tell them they look good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you touch him, touch him, you know, like that. And then at the end with yeah, the power I gave tools. up a power tool for those yeah. things. He's like, it's a, you know, he's like, I can always, Christmas is coming. You he's know? like, you got, uh, it was, uh, what, $2,000 for the pair? Oh, that sounds like it's a yeah, thousand for money worth it. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, it's a, there's an innocence yeah. to it you that know? is kind of nice. That you can show, yeah, you can you can watch it with your kids and you don't have to really worry, I guess, too much. I mean, that scene, I guess, about, but it's just. Yeah, but still you don't see anything. No, but know, it's just it's, so funny, you know, and then all the, just all the beach stuff, you know, him getting, you know, like you're saying, trying to sail, get back to his youth. It's got, um, you know, not to say that other movies of this ilk don't have it, but it does have a certain kind of heart to it. Yeah. Which is very. And I wonder if that's Carl Reiner and, and Candy. And Candy, I think you know so. I mean, I, mean, I think bringing you. It, like, I, could you see, like, a Dan Aykroyd playing this role, say, or a... Well, um, I mean, we see that. In Great Outdoors. We see, like, neighbor, that dichotomy of, yeah. of the Great Outdoors. You, you know, know, or, like, a Chevy Chase. Like, you, it's these roles are semi-interchangeable. I mean, I can even see maybe a Bill Murray. You know, I mean, it would be a different performance. You can you almost can, see, like, Great Outdoors being kind of a sequel to this movie. Yeah, where know? it's he's kind of, again, going out, and then it's his rich brother or whatever who it is like the brother-in-law yeah, so long since we should do that one maybe yeah. next summer we'll do that yeah that'd one. be a great one or the fall i forget what, what time that really is maybe but, it's the summer. uh there's 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 uh it it is him i think you're right i mean when we talked about casting of bill murray and that character peter venkman and ghostbusters in the last cast we did how peter venkman is really an asshole but because it's played by bill murray you kind of like it yeah you need and that's the i think that's the hook much like well, again we brought up gene wilder and willy wonka yeah. in our podcast Willy Wonka's a fucking asshole. But yeah. you need to have someone lovable enough that's that but good of here, an actor to make it look... Here's a character who's not, obviously, when uh, Summer Rental, not an asshole. No. But I think Candy brings even more of a lovability to that yeah. character. Well, because he's... And a, an identifiability. And a vulnerability. Talking, yeah. You know, you know which, which you see in... in uh, planes, trains, and automobiles, where he says, "Like I'm an easy target," you know. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. feel so sad for him. That that ending, I cry every time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's uh, it's oh, just even to think about that, and just it's just so it's, sad. You know, it's funny because like I never really, honestly, and I think I even say it in their planes, trains, and automobile cast. I never really felt either way about John Candy. Like I never, I didn't dislike him. He yeah, was yeah. he was often like a funny side character in a lot of movies I liked. But I never really. I mean, Uncle Buck. I remember seeing Uncle Buck in the movie theater. Yeah. Um, but I never he shows really, up in the Home Alone. Yeah, but I know? never really felt. I didn't really care. You know, yeah. like I, you know, I don't Take mean him that. Leave him. I don't mean that. In, I don't mean that in like in a in a cold like callous way. I just he was an actor that like I never really had any feeling. for either way for yeah but now that we've done planes trains and automobiles and we've done this movie it's like i'm now becoming a jock yeah it's fan, weird like later in life last last year when we or two i guess it's going on a year and a half two years ago when we did planes trains and automobiles i went that was thanks that was the thanksgiving 2014 of our first year yeah, yeah. and it, i kind of went through like a john candy kick yeah. where i watched this summer rental i watched planes trains we watched um great outdoors uh, Home Alone was probably in there because you know at Christmas time he yeah. he shows up. 
Uh, I've never full disclosure seen Uncle Buck all the way through. Crazy. That's something we should do because it's a winter movie. Um, but there's other movies of his I've never seen that I want to see. Like I've seen Splash, but I haven't seen Splash in 30 years. And how yeah, funny yeah. is he in Splash? They printed my article in Penthouse. <laughs> he comes running in, you know, the Tom Hanks or that scene you'd see every night on Sunday Night oh, Disney. We got, we Remember when he's it, playing? No. He's playing. What is he playing? Freaking high lie or racquetball and he gets hit in the head with the ball. You know, it's like, you know, we mentioned uh, <laughs> nothing but trouble. Nothing, that's another movie. That's, <laughs> he plays two we, parts we, that, We've talked he? about. Yeah, he plays the cop and the sister who's silent. We've talked about that movie in a couple casts. To do it's it, just a, such you a know? weird movie. But there's so many movies of John Candy that flew under the radar for me. Armed Armed and Dangerous, you know that one I've yeah, never yeah. seen. Uh, Who's Harry Crumb, where he's suction cupped on the building. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've never seen that. There's another one in here, Volunteers. I think I saw that Adam, out of Sleepover. Which one? Who's, Who's Harry, Harry Crumb? Crumb? Uh, Volunteers, with I think Tom Hanks, or you know, that's the one where they're like on this, they're on the beach and they're in like, you know, the, he has like lays on, you know, yeah. you know that's that bringing it back. And it's, I don't know, there's, what's the movie with um, Gilligan's Island that he shows up in? There's a beach movie. They all have a, like, uh, what's his face? Gil- uh, oh, uh, you know, talking back to the beach. Yeah. With you know, everybody in the net. Yeah. Everybody shows up, you know, and, you know, so it's like, uh, there's a couple. I saw that at the movie theater. Jesus. We there's should a, do that one. I loved it. Like, just put Adam on the list, you know what I mean? He neither here nor there. Um, but there's a lot of these movies that John Candy did that, that just completely fell through the, the cracks for me that are going to be fun going back now for better or for worse to watch and see if they're good or just like you're saying exposing yourself to more john candy and it's like geez it's so sad we lose a guy like john candy because you know it's hard to fill a void like that as a comedian i mean maybe jackie gleason kind of have it had it in the honeymoon was era but well you know what's interesting about him and you know we should probably wrap the cast up soon but is like we're used to those the heavier guys being like physically a, yeah, yeah like the bigger yeah the bigger comedic actors being more like a john belushi or uh chris farley like it's o- like an over the top yeah look at me i'm yeah heavy, like, a, I'm gonna like break over things. the top physicality and yeah. like over overcompensation maybe yeah whereas john candy for the most part is pretty subtle well he's never i've never really seen him use his size you know overtly you know yeah. i mean it's it will show up in comedy where he's too big in a seat or he's you know awkward or like you know they're sleeping in a bed together or he's trying to walk across a beach but it's never like oh look he's the fat guy yeah, yeah. you know it's just him like i'm a normal guy and like i look at me you know gee you know and he's always so nice you know i mean i love he has that cameo in jfk where he's playing that southern lawyer yeah. and he can play completely against type he's only in one scene and it shows just his versatility and it's like i would have just loved the scene what else he did as he got older and it's another one of these things where Another Rick Moranis, we were talking about Rick Moranis last week for Ghostbusters, and prior to the Ghostbusters cast, you and I were talking about Rick Moranis as an actor, and that was another thing that spooked him, too, when John Candy died, I think, as well as that's with, what's his face, John Hughes. Yeah. When John Candy died, that kind of like, you know, they kind of revalued or re kind of s- stood back and kind of re... They might have been on SCTV together, is that yeah, they, true? Uh, yeah, um, Rick Moranis, John Candy, and uh, Dan Aykroyd, that whole crew of, of C- Second City, and then there's like the... Strange Brew is, is John Candy affiliated at all with Strange Brew? He's definitely not one of the leads. It's but, been so you know, long. I mean, he could show, you know, Strange Brew. I mean, it could be that would be a fun one up. to visit at some point. Yeah, I've never seen Strange Brew. See, it's like I've seen so many movies, and there's other movies that are like, duh, you never seen that. It's like, yeah. I only have so much time yeah. now. So much but, time, so little time, so many great movies. I know. So Summer Rental, it's like, it's just a brilliant surprise. It's just really. It's going to make you laugh. And I don't know if, if, I don't like to usually say this, but if, if, if there's a guy out there or a girl out there doesn't like summer rental, I don't know what's wrong with you. 
You know, I mean, come on. What do you What do you want what out of life? What the fuck's wrong? With what you? do you want out of life? You know what I mean? I mean, if they tried to remake this now, they'd ruin it. Well, it's harmless. You know, you know that's what it is. See, that's the it's comedy. Like what's not to like? That's about the it. comedy I long for now. I long for comedy that isn't making fun of somebody. That's harmless. That's hilarious. It's making fun of our life. But it's what my. It's why you know? I think I was so shocked when somebody was like, "They hated Weekend oh, Bernie's. and Bernie's." It's like Weekend Bernie's is, is a stupider comedy. Yeah, of course. Than, than, they're, they're, than, they're dragging the dead guy around than for this. a week and a half. But it's like it's harmless. Like, yeah. how could you hate us such a strong? Work. Yeah, I mean, just he, could like, like, I he could be like, I don't care for yeah. Wigan of Bernie's. I don't care for it. But I hate Wigan of Bernie's. What's wrong with you? Uh, yeah, so wrapping this up, um, what do you think about uh, for you sleepover stars? Anything? Oh, I would give this. Here's the thing. Funny, it's funny because as Blake waves his hand and he puts his finger wave in his my face. finger in Dion's <laughs> face. Here's the funny thing. As a sleepover movie. Uh-oh. It would rate higher for me. I think it would rate higher as a sleepover mover if it had that overt sexuality we were just talking about. Because you want the sleepover, you want the because you want to see boobs as a, a, as a, a kid during a sleepover. Well, isn't this the kind of movie that you would think? Like I just said, you rented it because you think you're going to see yeah. that girl's boobs, and you're like, "Whoa, come so on!" So I would give it three buckets of pizza for sleepovers for as a, you know. But I would have had it had boobs. It would have been four or five. <laughs> <laughs> ruined it for you. The boobs just took all away all the. Because uh, a sleepover, I think, like I said, as a, as a kid, as an adolescent boy at a sleepover, you're looking for that. Yeah, you want. You want more like Resistances. Yeah, you want more jiggles. Yeah, jingling, jangling. But it's a perfect. But it's a great movie. I yeah. totally enjoyed it. I would. Uh, I'd say, um, sleepover stars. I'd probably say four or five, just because of everything that I, the baggage I bring to it. You know, the life experience of living through that era. Sure. You know, going on those trips, identifying, like I said, sitting in the freaking minivan or station wagon, reading the comic book with my freaking Walkman on, listening to Motley Crue, you know, girls, 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 or Dr. Feelgood, <laughs> you know, yeah. can hear my parents. Or what I used to even do is I'd geek out and tape record movies, so I'm listening to like freaking Predator and my tape recorder. That seemed to be a thing for people. You know? I never did that. Well, I, I used to, I, I figured I it Kevin out. Kevin Smith talks about he used to do that. I figured it out probably on either Aliens or Predator, like I can just, and I, all I would do is just hit record next to the speaker. And, sure. And it yeah. just get the shitty, and then I would talk over it to people so you'd hear my, you know, recording. <laughs> and I had Robocop, Predator, I had uh, freaking uh, Untouchables, Brian De Palma's Untouchables, I had Batman, I had all kinds of movies. And I just listened to them, my yeah. favorite parts. Yeah. You know, and I memorize them. Listen to them in the shower or whatever, you know, like that. Uh, uh, rec- recommendations? Uh, I would probably go with that if you haven't seen that Jimmy Stewart movie, Mr. Hobbs Takes a Vacation, because it's very funny. And it's, like I said, it's the movie they say kind of open this uh, vacation kind of family vacation movie out. And it's not a cynical. I like it. It's a lighthearted, fun movie. I think. Uh I think summer school would be good, and I didn't like. I said I didn't realize that was a Carl Reiner movie, so that would be a good Carl Reiner two pack. But I would my first inclination was One Crazy Summer. Okay, uh, John Cusack, Demi Moore, uh, I believe uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> I always say God. I always say uh, Goldfish or Gold. And uh, it's a summer beach movie. There's a sailing competition. It's very goof. It's much goofier than this movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, for for two, I, th- I feel like for two two sides of the same coin. Yeah, but you're, you're getting that, a little more sexuality in that movie. Is it I a think more. It's about teens. Or? I think there's a little. It's a definitely a much. But there's no like booby. There's no like people walking. Looking. It's been so long. Since it's I've not. Seen it. It's not uh, Return of the Ner- Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's like a, he's a kid who's into cartooning. So there's all these little interstitials with like Cartoon, this character yeah. that he writes. But at the end of the day, it's a sailing competition. You know, it's movie. just 
I, I don't know if it's a testament to these movies. Curtis or, Armstrong might be in it. Really? I, I don't know if it's a testament to these movies or just John Candy himself, but it's like these characters, and I remember saying the same thing at the end of Planes and Trains. I want to have, I want to see where these characters went. I want to see where the relationship between Steve Martin and John Candy went. Like, yeah. I want to invite them into my home for more holidays. Give me Christmas. Give me, the, you know. Well, it's funny. It's and this also, movie too, you know. That's also, in relation to Planes Trains, that's also, we said that about. Dutch? Well, Maybe a little bit about Dutch, but we definitely had the conversation about Breakfast Club. Yeah, and like oh, that, that's, that's a John ten Hughes years later thing, or whatever. You know, you know. And maybe it's also yeah. a John Hughes. Thing that's true. Planes, trains, like those characters. Like yeah, they're or just, just so they're just so good, and they're just like you want to just become friends with them and have that kind of people in your life. And then I would I would have loved to see installments of this John Candy character, Mister Chester. You know, Christmas Easter, all the it's almost like yeah, Griswold. Yeah, yeah like, you know, it's a, like he lives take, next door to Griswold, but it's John Candy's take, take on the it. vacation National Lampoon vacation route with this family. Yeah, but having but it's different because it's this family. It's yeah, not yeah. going through like the you know he's looking at Christy Brinkley or whatever. It's just sure. Fun, I mean, it's comedy is a little less, the awkward. Uh, yeah, it's a different kind of comedy. It could be even a little more physical, like a Jackie Gleason he's falling. And anyway, we're so, in the middle of summer. Oh, we're going next month is going to be pretty crazy. Uh, we're, we're, got, we're in talks about what we're going to do. Yeah, it might, we might do. We might go. Uh, a little, little dark. <laughs> it might go completely different yeah, direction. Yeah, it might be a little scary for you guys. You know, I'm not scaring us, but it might be a little, you know, we've been doing summery, you know, Ghostbusters was scary. This movie's like summer vacation. Next month could be like, you know, the dark, hot days of summer. <laughs> you know, the grittiness. The, gr- the gritty. Of summer. Yeah, it could be another installment in our New York hot gritty. Town, somewhere in the city. Yeah, we started our gritty New York summer with turtles. <laughs> the back of our necks getting dirt and gritty. Yeah. And yeah. Jesus. Doesn't anyway. seem to be a shadow in the city. <laughs> so anyway, we hope everybody's enjoying their summer so yeah, far. Yeah, we do too. See you in two weeks. Check out our Facebook page. Check out our Twitter page. We're at Sat Sleepovers. Uh, we're Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers on our Facebook page. Don't be afraid to visit old casts as the summer months go by. Yeah, we've got a lot of old stuff. Check that, out our, the extras we post. Yeah, on our site we have a lot of extras that are like further reading for each individual individual cast. For we those have, of you who joined and saw that we had on iTunes. Uh, that only our 50 most podcasts were available. We corrected that. So you might have thought we only had 50. But there's more. But we actually have a few more after yeah. that. So and you might that's... enjoy things that weren't po- weren't visible on there. You might have missed that there was yeah. like Big Trouble in Little China, Trial for the Incredible, Incredible Hulk. Hulk. So there's a whole <laughs> bunch of those earlier there. ones are yeah. kind of fun. Black Christmas. Go back and check our, yeah, our catalog and there, you might find something you really like. And certainly check out our site itself because... There's a lot of extras there, stuff about us. And, you know, we have a pretty formidable um, vault, the Saturday Night Sleepovers movie vault of, of souvenirs and stuff and collectibles and yeah. one-of-a-kind one stuff that we own that we will bring out of the vault and well, show. in Like some Freddy's Dead glasses. Yeah. And a, and a, <laughs> I mean, we have more uh, a button from Ghostbusters. <laughs> vintage vintage button. But then we go to the other stream where we go to Batman. We have we had vintage cereal for Batman. Then we even go to like, we had Mike Plug original uh, storyboard, storyboard art. Right, yeah. You know, and we had uh, original comic book art for the Night Stalker comic book. The, the Kolchak, the Night Stalker. We had... We have a lot of autographs and stuff. Lots of fun stuff. Yeah. Who doesn't have a Kurt Vile? Not Kurt Vile. <laughs> Conrad Veidt. We have a Conrad Veidt autograph from, I forget what movie we were talking Maybe Mad Love. You know, circa 1937. To Dion. I hope to see you soon. Conrad Veidt. <laughs> All right, guys. Happy summer. See you soon. Bye.